560 WQM. Boy, this soccer crap just goes on forever, doesn't it? The thing that amazes me is I'm watching like uh, little bits and pieces here in Espanol. The announcer's screaming and hysterical. And then you turn over and hear the British, the British guy on TSN. And it's like a totally different event. A constipated Brit. Lopez already having more impact. In fact, in a few minutes he's been on than he... Did in the game against Nigeria. And, you know, the interesting thing of it is, for me at least, no matter which one I'm listening to, you need an interpreter. Anyway, George yesterday took another one of his goddamn sex pools. Are you ever going to quit this crap no, or just, what? just for your mom, especially for her. Well, you are really stupid. Man, never get the message. Yeah, just for mom, who thinks that George is a real pervert. If she had any idea how little he was getting. Anyway, girls who like getting uh, lap dances from other girls are, and, of course, this is a ridiculous result on this pool. And of course, to show you the double standards, if I said that, uh, if we did a similar poll about guys, we discussed that. And what did the audience say? That, yeah, it's horrible. They, they would be gay. Unless, of course, it's a sports thing. If guys, uh, you know, pat each other on a butt, then it's okay if it's a sports thing. Girls who like getting lap dances from other girls are just having fun. 272 people out of almost 700 said that. 39%. They're just having fun. Girls just want to have fun. Like Randy, for example. Remember that well, episode in Tampa? I'm yes, sure you do. do. Of course. What was she doing over there in that place? What was I don't the know. I wasn't place? there. The dollhouse? I heard dollhouse? about it just like you. Yeah, the dollhouse. Bi-curious, 186. Bisexual, 134. Now, that bi-curious thing. Uh, I, no such... that. I don't believe in that. No. But I put it on there anyway just because a lot of people say it. Yeah, that, that's just a cop-out. Bi-curious, 186. Bisexual, 134. And lesbians, 104. That's what I voted for. 
Lesbian? Girls who get lap dances from other girls are lesbians. Dykes. I wrote bisexual. Dykes. I rest my case. Trust me. Now, let me give our poll question today only for Eric's benefit, because it's going to take a couple of minutes before I get to the story about uh, that inspired this poll today, about R.J. Reynolds getting fined. Because, God, I got a pile of stuff today, man. I got heavy piles here. Sun is shining. Going to be 70 today, 80s over the weekend. It's beautiful in Toronto, eh? No rain, none of that tremendous humidity. Air Canada got us here like uh, 20 minutes early. Nice going, Air, eh? How's my friend Helen doing and all my other good paisans at Air Canada? Boy, they just love me. They are. Oh, you know, I feel bad about something. You want to know why? Why? Because I'm sitting there at MIA waiting for the plane in the uh, waiting area at the uh, gate. And I don't know, there were a bunch of um, women, middle-aged women, who like uh, were quite a ways away, and they were like waving. And I looked behind me. Have you ever had that happen when somebody waves? <laughs> all you the have time. No no idea who they are, and you don't want to wave back because it's embarrassing if they're waving at somebody else, right. and you don't know them. And so I just sat there, and I looked behind me. There was nobody behind me. And then once I got on a plane there in business class, and a couple of ladies came on, and they uh, one knew me, and then another one later came back up front to ask some silly question from the Stewie, and she also was a big fan. But they weren't the same ones that were waving. In fact, the ones that were waving, I noticed as they came on a plane and walked by me, they gave me kind of like a dirty look. Now, that was probably just paranoia. But that, so if I, if I offended anybody, it's not that I don't respond. It's like people will say to me, oh, I passed you on the turnpike yesterday and you totally ignored me. Uh, sometimes you're not paying attention. You know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. You're I like just maybe don't like driving. getting off that aura like I'm some kind of a uh, stuck up uh, old fart. I mean, when you look like this and you're fat and grotesque and balding, you're not going to be, uh, who the hell am I? Anyway, here's our poll question today, Eric. What do you smoke? What do you smoke? Isn't that a very simple question? Yeah, I like it. Cigarettes, cigars, pot, cigarettes and pot, cigars and pot, used to smoke cigarettes but quit, used to smoke pot but quit, used to smoke cigars but quit, or don't smoke anything. What about pipes? No, we're not, this isn't for pipes, okay? Forget about <laughs> pipes. Nobody smokes a pipe. I smoke a pipe. Yeah, you, you lay pipe is what you're thinking about, not smoking pipe. You smoke, yeah. Now we're not talking about crack either, okay? So, I'm not. Or, or no, nah, I don't want to get that. Cut the crap. It's right. what's in it that counts. What do you smoke? Cigarette? Saying I'm not putting crack because I could put crack on there. Like I've told you before, and I really mean this. I try not to be a judgmental person, but in this case, I'll make an exception. The crack crowd makes me sick. God, are they annoying? Well, can you hear that uh, pigeon out there on my patio? No. Not, see, people think pigeons are annoying because they like crap all over the place, which is true. But they also make those very uh, annoying sounds. You know the ones I'm talking about? The those kind of like coochie, sounds. coochie, coochie, oh. a cooing sound. Yeah. And I got one out of there. I wish I had a BB gun like Ted Williams. I'll tell you that right now. I'd open up that window and do a little uh, number there. I'll oh, see you're bad. You're not an animal lover. No, I don't like pigeons. In fact, I'm not that big on birds to begin with. Although I have seen a... <coughs> what do you smoke? Cigarettes? Cigars, pot, cigarettes and pot. Now, is it true that most people who smoke uh, pot also smoke cigarettes? No, it is uh, not. Uh, oh. I don't know. Or As a matter of fact, people... uh, the hippies are militant anti-cigarette people, ironically. <coughs> what hippies? You know, the stereotype. Oh, you mean like Tommy? Real granola sandal wearing type. Like no, Tommy. Tom, Tommy's not a hippie. He sure Tom. as hell looks like one. And, and he smokes cigarettes. And a hippie, too. No, no. He's a I heard he was stupid. Anyway, sorry, Tommy. By the way, Tommy did a great job on putting something together for me. Thank you, Tommy. You're the best. 
What do you smoke? Cigarettes, cigars, pot, cigarettes and pot, cigars and pot, which I would think, well, that would be for Al Goldstein, for example, when he gets out. Used to smoke cigarettes but quit. Used to smoke pop but quit. Used to smoke cigars but quit. Or don't smoke anything. Which it's, uh, you know, a free uh, country unless you get caught. So I think if you don't smoke anything, we're not going to be judgmental about that. Not like you have to feel left out. Speaking of a big fat tub of crap, like, like Al, only I think even fatter and more disgusting, is Oprah's Ice Cream Club next? It asked in the Herald today. Hey, I've been reading about this. Or is this from yesterday? I read about this days ago. But it finally made it to South Florida. When Oprah Winfrey recommends a book, it's almost guaranteed to become a bestseller. So it follows that when she screams for ice cream, America listens. And, you know, I'm not that impressed by this. Here I am with one little radio show on one little horseball radio station in, in uh, Miami with a bad, you know, with a crappy uh, AM signal. And look at the response we've had over the years on the different things that like uh, Bagel Bites and uh, Ben and Jerry's Fish Food. Boca Burgers. Boca Burgers, Snapple, all the different things that I've really put on the map that uh, just about sold out. Boca Burgers is a good example of that. And here she's on national TV with her billion-dollar personal wealth, that disgusting bitch. When Oprah Winfrey, uh, after Oprah announced on her talk show last week that Grater's ice cream is the best ice cream I've ever tasted, mail-order sales went through the roof. By Monday, the Cincinnati-based company, which has stores in Ohio and Kentucky, and which I never heard of in my life, says it received more than 700 orders. Uh, that don't sound all that overwhelming to me. No, not really. Maybe there were big orders. Normally, the company might have received 75 during that period. Executive Vice President Rich Grader said, this is the kind of mail-order business we usually get during the holidays or when that fed pitch on TV opens up a big mouth. Oprah first hated Grater's ice cream last year when a friend gave her a gift pack for Christmas. G-R-A-E-T-E-R. -E -E I never heard of it in my life. And you know something? Based on her taste in books and everything else, it probably blows. I would say that uh, Ben & Jerry's is the best ice cream, although the gelato in Germany, I would say, is the best ice cream, although I would also say Nestle's Turtle is right in the running, too. <laughs> huh? No, you got to go that? pretty far to have bad ice cream. Now, bad ice cream is like, uh, you know, Haagen-Dazs is pretty weak. Watery. Very watery. What's some other bad? And Edie's. I, you know, I feel bad saying that because that guy is such a nice guy that always gives me those coupons for the free 20-gallon tubs of Edie's. And how come Edie's doesn't come like in pints like normal ice cream? I guess they figure because the first time somebody buys it, they're never going to buy it again. So if they're going to try it, they're going to no seriously, they're going to force him to buy that big gigantic ten-gallon tub that it comes in, like a like a goddamn uh, wastebasket. And that's probably where it'll end up anyway. Edie's is very very weak, but there aren't too many really bad ice creams, are there? Well, I'm not a big ice cream person anyway. Carvel, Carvel's pretty uh, weak. Dairy Queen, that's not ice cream. See, I'm not, I'm not into this uh, thing. People that eat soft serve and think that they're eating ice cream. I mean, if you like that, that's fine. Soft serve vanilla. Oh, man. That is strictly for Goyim. Although I noticed that Carvel is owned mostly by Jews. Why is that, do you think? Why is that? That's uh, their business. What do you mean by that? I'm sure well, that was a family Tom business that Tom grew. Carvel wasn't Jewish. Maybe he just liked them. Oy! I don't think he was. He's dead anyway. Schwab ad. Oh, you better do the break. And then we got the thing uh, at Barry Jackass's column. A lot of stuff today, baby. We got a pile of crap here today. Still England won Argentina nil. Oh! Don't you love the way they say that? Well, then when they have a scoreless tie, they'll say, oh, and the final was nil-nil. <laughs> ah! Soccer sucks, baby. Make no mistake about it. Hey, Father's Day is coming. 
Make that feel special by getting them a comfortable new pair of athletic shoes from our good friends at New Balance Stores with locations in Pinecrest, Aventure, and Boca Raton, where they've got some fantastic prices for the whole family on the world's best athletic shoes. Thanks again to my good friends at New Balance for this uh, latest pair of walking shoes, the ones with the Velcro straps. These are the most comfortable, the best for my feet. My, feel, uh, my feet are now, once again, the best part of my body, from the ankles down. Right now till Father's Day, buy any New Balance shoe and get a free cushion support insole, a $30 value. I love these New Balance shoes that I've been wearing for several years now, and they're great for all the walking around I do and not falling down in Amsterdam. So if you need shoes, get them now at New Balance stores where the staff knows footwear like nobody else, and they still measure it the old-fashioned way, the length and the width, and your foot, too. New Balance stores, three locations in Miami's Pinecrest. They're on the second floor of the Aventura Mall and in Boca at the town center. Or check them out at NewBalanceMiami.com. And don't forget, until Father's Day, buy any New Balance shoe and get a free cushion support insole, a $30 value, and be sure and tell them that Neil sent you in. But hurry, because this offer expires. No portion of this program may be reproduced without the express written permission of WQAN no, no. Broadcast Group Incorporated. If there's a but, I smell it. Pop kills. Judy Garland, Lenny Bruce, Elvis Presley. They all died while sitting on the toilet. Remember, pop kills. Stay off the pot. A reminder from the Home Safety Council. 916 at 560 WQM. Happy Friday to you. Boy, it's a beautiful day today. I'm looking out my window. It's a picture-perfect day. Anybody that uh, smokes the wicked weed, by the way, you better watch what you put down on that pole because uh, they're probably they're probably tracing them, don't you think? I think. Probably Uncle Sam is tracing it because he wants you. Schwab ad gets rebuffed from CBS. CBS, and I mention this on a day when the market is just... Oh, man. Woo! Those futures, if they're any indication of what's going to happen on Wall Street today, boy, I'd, I'd just hide under the bed. I would pull a tiny and hide under the bed because it is looking really nasty, man. Uh, Dow futures are down over 100. The NASDAQ futures are down over 50. I hate to break the news also to you, but I don't think that the tech stocks are ever coming back. In fact, I think a lot of these companies are going under, including many that nobody ever thought might go under, like Palm. Palm is like a dollar stock now. Yep. And Intel, because they had a bad uh, number yesterday or a bad outlook, Intel's taking a down four and a half bucks. It's going to be like under 20 bucks pretty soon. And some microsystems that you and I were screaming about what a great value it was, like at 78, and then it went zooming up to 120 or whatever. It's a $6 stock now. Wow. No, you watch. A lot of these companies that they were touting as being so great, including like Oracle and, uh, and I mean, I'm not, I'm, I know nothing. Don't get me wrong. I don't want anybody selling stock based on my ramblings here. But I just, uh, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out that this was all part of a big scam. Anyway, CBS won't show a Charles Schwab TV commercial drawing a sleazy picture of Wall Street stock brokerages at a time the industry is fending off charges of abusive sales practices. And, of course, that is absolutely correct, sir. The commercial, which other TV... How about Shitrix? How's that doing? Anybody got any Shitrix? No. I was sold a pile of Shitrix, at least part of that. The commercial, which other TV networks are airing, they do be airing it, features an executive urging brokers at an unidentified firm to tell customers that a stock is red hot, even though the fundamentals stink. After promising to reward whoever sells the most stock, the executive encourages the brokers to put some lipstick on this pig. <laughs> oh, man. Put some lipstick on this pig. I love that line. Yeah. In fact, that was the last thing Roy. said before he left the building. I think he was talking about Skouran. The derogatory language echoes descriptions used by Merrill Lynch analysts in email discussions. of. She looked a little bit better this time, by the way. Skouran. Yeah. When I was there in April, boy, she looked like hell on wheels. I'm serious. She looked like she had just been, uh, wow, like she had done a, uh, what's her name, Susan Day. 
you know, beaten and bloodied and bruised. She looked battered. But this time she looked, I mean, you know, for her, fairly human, for her. The derogatory language echoes descriptions used by Merrill Lynch analysts in email discussions of stocks recommended as good investments to the firm's customers. After the emails were obtained by New York State Attorney General Elliot Spitzer, Merrill Lynch last month paid $100 million to settle allegations that it recommended troubled stocks to win lucrative investment banking fees. San Francisco-based Schwab said the commercial part of an ad campaign launched May 16 wasn't spurred by early April revelations of the Merrill Lynch emails. It was not inspired by any particular firm, Schwab spokesman Glenn Matheson said. It was inspired by the generally reported and documented practices of Wall Street brokerages. Several cable TV networks, including CNBC, CNN, and Bravo, have shown the commercial CBS rejected. The ad was scheduled to debut on NBC last night during ER. Some analysts say they suspect CBS's refusal to air the Schwab ad has to do with the network's finances. Merrill Lynch does more business with CBS than Schwab, a factor that probably led the network to think like an investment bank. They went with the one paying them the most money. How do you like that, huh? Not that people are influenced by who's schmearing their hand or whatever, but they are. That's what it's all about. Oh, boy, those futures, man. Oh, I don't want to get anybody in a bad mood. It's Friday. It's going to be a great weekend. we got that big fight tomorrow that uh, none of us are going to be. I hope Miguel's not going to be watching that. No. No, thank I God. I, don't I, say, I said none of us real quick because I know George ain't going to waste his time watching that, and I sure as hell won't. What How about fight? those Red Wings, by the way, huh? Oh! Carolina gave them a good scare, boy. They got down to like a little over five minutes left in the third period, tied at one. Arthur's Urbe played phenomenal again. And just when you thought maybe another overtime, I guarantee you Scotty Bowman was crapping in his 40-year-old suit there. Probably soiled himself a couple of times. But luckily, they got that power play, and Fedorov scored the first one, and then they came back and Draper scored real quick to get another one, and 3-1 Detroit wins. And it's a damn good thing for them they did. This ain't Vancouver they're playing this time, I'll tell you. Carolina, highly underrated, pretty damn good team. So anyway, Barry Jackass writes in this morning's Herald, this has got to be mistaken. Jesus Christ. Dolphins David bumped by Albert on MNF Radio. CBS Radio Westwood One decided not to renew Howard David's contract and will replace him with Marv Albert on Monday Night Football, NFL playoff games, and the Super Bowl, industry sources said yesterday. According to Barry Jackass, of course, we all know Barry. Stupid. David, the Dolphins' new play-by-play announcer on WQM, has worked for Westwood One since 1979. Was I surprised? Of course, he said, they elected to go in a different direction. Although he enjoyed the national stage, David said he's content calling Dolphins games and hosting WQM's morning show, such as it is. WQM is not expected to retain the CBS Radio Westwood One package because of scheduling conflicts. Monday Night Football might shift to WYNZ 940, which might give him like close to a one-share, but I doubt it. <laughs> Man, I still can't get over those numbers this time. Nice going, P.D. Bolger. Just when you thought they've reached a number that they can't eclipse on the bottom, on the low side... They still do it. Oh, we got the poll up there already. What do you smoke? And I'm voting cigars. Not very many, Ma. I don't want to get Ma all bent out of shape. Oh, they kill you. They're a killer. Cigars are a killer. That's all I smoke. Pot. <laughs> oh, how many times did you vote on this, George? Once, and I voted for cigars and pot. Oh. Pot's got five already. I used to smoke cigarettes, but quit three. Don't smoke anything, two. Cigars appear, cigars and pot, two. Used to smoke pot, but uh, quit, two. And probably couldn't afford it anymore. Now, how are the prices on the streets? Like uh, sky high now, or are they low? No, same as always. No. Kind of like the coffee shops in Amsterdam? No. No, I don't think so. No, that's about half the price of uh, here. Cigarettes and pot, one. You And uh, that's a good start on there. And now let me get to the story that inspired the pool. 
Oh, I, and what did I do? Did I just uh, Schmidt can that story? Wait. Uh-oh. No, no, the reason being there's another thing later on in Barry's column. Here it is on the floor as I un unfold it. Joe Zagaki, who calls UM's baseball super regional on radio this weekend, is still awaiting word on WQAM's choice to replace Mark Vandermeer, who left the, uh, for the NFL's Houston Texans. QAM needs to complete a contract with UM before the new announcer is determined. <coughs> I didn't see, I can't keep track of all this sports crap. Which, just like IOD, there's just this enormous amount of energy in it, although there is a difference. It's supposed, this is supposed to be a sports station. But just a tremendous amount of time and energy devoted to all that sports garbage, which uh, when you come right down to it, very few people are listening to, because all of those events that we carry on QAM, just like when they were in IOD, they're for free on live TV, almost every one of them. Once in a while there might be a Hurricane game. I, I don't know. Is that possible, Miguel? Is there ever a Hurricane game that's not on TV local? Yeah, a lot a lot of times. Get out of here. They don't a lot of times? Games. Oh, well, like I said. But they still don't get a number, even when they aren't on TV. So Miguel tells me before the show today a scandalous story about the fact that there's a rumor that the uh, Marlins are looking to play in the Orange Bowl now and that they've planted the seeds and there's a discussion going on behind closed doors about that, about playing in the Orange Bowl. I mean, are, are they crazy or what? Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. The Orange Bowl, what a location that is, a place that nobody wants to go to. Not to mention, of course, the fact that it's not a baseball place anyway. You can't play baseball in the Orange Bowl, but just out of desperation. You know, you know what? Let them do whatever the hell they want. Just as long as they don't suck out any more tax money from the public. Let them play with themselves. Let them play wherever they want. I don't care. Reynolds Tobacco fined $20 million for targeting teens, says USA Today. A judge fined R.J. Reynolds Tobacco $20 million yesterday, ruling that the maker of Winston Camel Cigarettes violated terms of the 1998 tobacco settlement by running magazine ads aimed at teenagers. The California Attorney General's Office had sued the nation's number two tobacco company last year, asking that it be punished. By the way, if you're thinking about uh, calling us today, don't do it. Fax us if you want to. Because uh, I, I took calls those three days I was down there, and boy, wow, I can still smell the aroma. You know, someday, you know, when you least expect it, we'll punch up a few again. But that, that was pretty weak. Wouldn't you agree with me? <laughs> Absolutely. Nothing like wow. yesterday, though. How'd you do yesterday? Oh, it was brutal. Was it really? Yeah. Why is that? Because of them. <laughs> See, Monday and Tuesday, it wasn't too bad. And then by the time we got to Wednesday, the well had run dry. In other words, uh, they were out of material already again. And, and the word had gotten out. Oh, I see. That's right. I forgot about that. So those people that we finally unloaded, the ones who don't want to hear me reading and don't want to learn what's going on in the world, those assholes, those heavy mouth breathers, they all came back. So we're not taking no calls today. I got uh, too much stuff here. The $206 billion settlement between the industry and 46 states does not specifically mention magazine advertising, but bars tobacco companies from taking any action directly or indirectly to target youth. Superior Court Judge Ronald Prager found Reynolds violated that agreement. By advertising in magazines like Spin, Vibe, Hot Rod, and Rolling Stone, Reynolds reached teens as often or as more often than adults, the judge said. He said Reynolds saw itself losing market share to other companies and fought back with a more aggressive ad campaign, even though the likely effect of these efforts was to cause significant exposure to youth. It was or should have been apparent to these skillful and bright people who managed RJR's multi-million dollar sophisticated print advertising campaign that youth were exposed to tobacco ads at levels substantially similar to targeted adult smokers, yada, yada, yada. 
The Attorney General's office had asked the judge to fine Reynolds $25 million and to ban its advertising from 50 magazines often read by teens. The judge didn't go so far as to ban advertising in specific magazines, but ordered Reynolds to take reasonable measures to reduce its reach to teenagers. Quit trying to get those teenagers to smoke Winston, although Winston does taste good like a cigarette should. And I'd walk a million miles for a camel. And, of course, if you smoke Newports, you'll be like walking hand-in-hand uh, hand with some hot number out there in the uh, woods. Or is that is that uh, Newport or is it Salem? I forgot all at 560. We don't have time to discuss that now because I'm getting behind already. And time to talk about Charles Alfieri and how you can get a great-looking head of hair. People that wear wigs, most of them look like crap, okay? Most of them look ridiculous. And you can tell it's not the real thing. That's what separates the uh, men from the Goyam at Charles Alfieri Studios. Because Charlie's got the only natural-looking system in the world. That's why he calls it natural hairline system. Because it looks like the hair's grown right out of your scalp. Not anybody in the world would even know it's not the real thing. So if you want to have people laughing at you while you're trying to make yourself look a little bit more human, go right ahead. They're allowed to join uh, the company. A lot of people doing that. But if you want to look sensational, better and younger than you have in a coon's age, call my good buddy Charles Alfieri. He's been doing it for the wealthy and the not-so-wealthy for over 25 years. A very affordable system, too, by the way, which you can save an extra 200 bucks off if you mention Neil Rogers when you call. Toll-free, 1-800-321-2413. 1-800-321-2413. We've been talking about these folks for over 20 years now, and, boy, you can't even begin to imagine how many guys out there have improved their looks and maybe even got laid once or twice in that 20 years because of Charles Alfieri. You can log on to their website if you like, charlesalfieri.com. But better yet, give them a call. They'll set up a free consultation, and they'll show you just how much better and younger you can make yourself look. So say goodbye to your bald spot forever. Call Chuck Alfieri toll-free, 1 800 3 is the Florida Marlins take on the Minnesota Twins. Coverage gets underway at 7.30 on Radio 560 QAM. They're smoking it out in the Everglades. You won't be waking up to Brian Gumble anymore. What does he want to do next? And how does his beautiful fiancée, Hillary, feel about his cock? Tonight he gives us his exclusive private story. Brian, why did you leave the morning show? Um, I told CBS <laughs> them that this was it. This was done. CBS? Yeah. CBS. <laughs> One of the things that may have hurt Gumbel's popularity, especially with women, was his highly public bitter divorce from his wife of 27 years, June. In fact, Brian Gumbel has found a new woman to share his life with. Not long after you separated from your wife, you began appearing in public with a new woman, mm -hmm. Hillary Clinton. Yes? Mm -hmm. Let's meet Hillary. Okay. I, I'm delighted to be here and uh, CBS. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the big question, mm -hmm. did Hillary break up that marriage? Yeah. Well, sure. Is that bad? Depends. No. People say... I, I say, why not? Why not? Uh, ball <laughs> from one end to the other. <laughs> 932 at 560 WQAM. D.D. Ramon found that, there's a word in that bit, by the way, which uh, I had a little trouble making that out. Yeah. But it, it's not really what you think it is. Okay. I listened to it 85 times. It just, it's not really any word. But, I saved you know, that one for you. You can assume whatever the hell you want to assume. Look at that. Pot's leading the way. I don't smoke anything is in second place. Fourteen people already say they smoke pot. Better call up goddamn John Ashcroft and tell him to get his act together down there. D.D. Ramon found dead. Oh, Bad yeah. news, I'm sorry. D.D. Ramon, bassist and one of the founding members of the seminal punk band, the Ramones, was found dead in his Hollywood home. The L.A. Uh, coroner's office said yesterday he was fitty. Ramon's death apparently was the result of an accidental drug overdose, said Katie Elliott, a spokesman for Ramon's manager. Drug paraphernalia, including a syringe, reportedly were found in the kitchen of the home. Elliott said it is not known what kind of drug was involved. 
The AP reported the basis was found dead Wednesday night by his wife, Barbara. Autopsy results are expected in the L.A. County's coroner's office today. The pioneering punk band was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame earlier this year. Dee Dee Ramone was one of three surviving original members. Lead singer Joey Ramone, born Jeffrey Hyman. Jeffrey Hyman died in April 2001 of lymphoma. Did you know that? No, I did not. Jeffrey Hyman? Doesn't that sound like, uh, like Bobby Hyman? Like Buster Hyman? The other original members are Tommy Erdelli, Erd, uh, what? who took the name Tommy Ramone, was also the group's manager, and John Cummings, who took the name Johnny Ramone. Well, I can't stand those people with fake names, you know what? Dee Dee Ramone left the band in 1989 was replaced by Christopher J. Ward, a.k.a. C.J. Ramone. Founded in Queens in 1974, the uh, Ramones took up residency in New York Club CBGB, playing dozens of shows before they were signed. The group was credited with bringing a wider audience to the New York downtown music scene of the late 70s, which, inspired by bands including the New York Dolls and Stooges, grew to include bands including Blondie, the Patti Smith Group, Richard Hell, and the Voidoids, television and talking heads. Well, guess what? Dee Dee Ramone is dead. We're very sorry to report that. Bad news. On the market, speaking of bad news, I don't want to get uh, too involved in this. Very weak as well. Oh, man. Look at that. The thing's only been open for four minutes. Are you looking at it on uh, uh, Channel 77? Right now, sure. The Nasdaq's already down 56 and a half points, and the Dow's down 132, and it just opened. It's in free fall. It's a freaking bloodbath. Oh, in just a minute, by the way, you know the article in Newsweek that everybody's talking about by Michael Isikoff, the one that's about the hijackers and how we let them get off the hook? Yeah. I'm going to read the whole thing. It's, it's not that long. It's fairly lengthy, but it's uh, because most people don't read Newsweek, right? No. I'd say that maybe maybe three people in this audience read the article, and it's well worth it, because inquiring minds want to know. We have a right to know what the hell kind of ineptitude is really going on up there. Here's the big story of the day. Well, I think there are two big stories, but one is really from yesterday. When I was not, I was in transit, and that's about that 89-year-old old cocker that, uh, and with his Cadillac that stepped on the accelerator instead of the brake. Not again. You didn't see that story? No. <coughs> and the Herald, in its inimitable uh, ineptitude... They had a little blurb on it in yesterday's paper, and I don't know why it was so incomplete, because the story I saw in the news Wednesday night was more complete than in yesterday's Herald, and then today there's no follow-up, not that I saw. So if anybody's got more on that story about the 89-year-old guy that uh, got confused in his Jew canoe there and stepped on the uh, accelerator instead of the brake and ran into a whole bunch of people and killed that four-year-old little boy. Didn't see that? No, I didn't. How could you miss that? And this I guy's had other, several other episodes. And that's the state of Florida for you. That's one of the main things that's wrong. As a matter of fact, during the three days that I was there, did I mention this on the air or not? I don't think so. But not only is the driving worse than ever, but now instead of the usual crappy driving, it's it's much, much slower than ever before. Maybe it's the insufferable heat and humidity, even though it's early June. But I'm going to tell you something. Slow as molasses. Will you people get the goddamn let out? Will you go to the Joe Costello School of Driving, for Christ's sakes, and give it a little bit of gas? Christ. Man, are you people slow. You get on the turnpike or 595, and you're like, uh, and I'm not talking about out-of-state people. It's June already. There's nobody from out-of-state. Maybe maybe we got six people from out-of-state who got lost and wound up in South Florida. But, boy, you and all the cops, you know, with their radar, and they're sitting there with their, uh, you know, money-raising efforts. Speed kills if it's like wild, hysterical, irresponsible speed. But generally speaking, most accidents are caused by people going way too slow. And, man, are you people going slow. 
Hey, sports fans, join Jim Mad Dog Manage for live broadcast today at Hooters and Pembroke Pines on Pines Boulevard and University Drive 1 to 3 this afternoon. The QM Prize Patrol will be there with our usual crappy giveaways. And you can register to win dinner for two with Florida Marlins outfielder Kevin Millar. Wouldn't you like to go have dinner with Kevin Millar? Who? You'd like to go have dinner with anybody if it was for free, if it was a good place. Yeah, sure. Of course, we never said it was a good place. <laughs> I have no idea. Where. Oh, maybe it's at Hooters. I don't know. But here's the really big story of the day from the Sun Sentinel. There's always one that stands out heads and shoulders above all the others. Toothbrush bandit strikes Tamarack Walgreens. Oh, we will be talking to Dave Johnson later, I'm assuming, since we got the Belmont yes. tomorrow. Tamarack. Broward deputies yesterday were hunting for a high-end toothbrush thief suspected of targeting Walgreens drugstores. Look out, Marcy. Surveillance cameras at the 8801 West Commercial Boulevard Walgreens drugstore. I know exactly where that is, don't you? Yes, I do. Recorded the suspect on May 21st placing items in a small shopping basket, then quickly carrying the basket over the store's front door security checkpoint. He returned the next day. This time, employees said, he escaped with three Oral-B and two Sonicare electrical toothbrushes valued at $500. The hygiene's instrument retails a price range from 80 to 100 bucks. B.S. Oh! Detectives said they believe the same man's responsible for shoplifting in other Walgreens stores in the Tamarack area. Anyone with information should call Detective Patricia Fernandez or call Broward Crime Stoppers at 493-TIPS. How do you like that? We got the toothbrush. Maybe he just wants to keep his teeth clean. Maybe he knows about a lot of Brits and he'd like to give him like a little hint. Although I don't think there's any hope in their case. The toothbrush thief. And, and the amazing thing is he sneaked out the door with these things and evidently the alarm never went off. You know how they have to put the uh, thing sure. over the, uh, they have to smear the scanner thing? And yet, how come about half of the time I walk out of Walgreens or Records, the goddamn buzzer goes off, and I haven't been stealing nothing? Because of that metal plate I'm no one owner rider. I'm not even any Mitch rider. What? Because of that metal plate you got in your head. Oh, that could be it. No, seriously, half of the time I walk out of there, and the bells are ringing, you know. All not that anybody's paying any attention, I should point out, but I always do walk back in, and the kid at the checkout, especially if he's cute, you know, I'll go back and say, uh, hey, I don't got nothing. And he'll say, yeah, I can see that. Do you let him what? check? 20 till 10 at 560.
945 at 560 WKM. Just thinking to myself, Leslie Nielsen, Mike Myers, and Anne Marie, you know what they all have in common? Canadian? All Canadian, which goes to show you, nothing's perfect. Two out of three ain't bad. Anne Murray, boy, he's, I mean, she's really something. She's got a whole bunch of kids. So our poll question on neilrogers.com today, what do you smoke? I don't smoke anything is tied with pot 21. That's good. Smoking kills, man. It's bad for you. Light one up for me. Cigarettes and pot, 12. I used to smoke cigarettes but quit, 12. Cigars, 10. Cigars and pot, 9. I used to smoke pot but quit, 4. Cigarettes, 3. And I used to smoke cigars but quit, 1. Out of 93, we only got three people who smoke cigarettes. Now, cigarettes and pot, we got 12. But even so, 15 out of... That's amazing to me. Isn't that shocking to you? Yeah, that surprises me. Only three people who smoke cigarettes, faggots. Winston tastes good like a cigarette should. I'd walk a million miles for a camel. I'll tell you something. I don't care what anybody says. Those spots were great, you know, and obviously effective because look at all the people who died from them. Right? Right. That shows you. What's the guy that was uh, on Perry Mason? What that was his name? Raymond Burr? No, no, the guy that played the uh, the um, district attorney. I don't know any of the characters. Oh, that's right. It's a it's a detective show. George doesn't oh, like detective shows. He was shows. a little He's child a... when I saw it. What the hell was his name? Don't we have a PSA thing on here by Boca Brian where he's choking and gagging on it? What the hell's the name of that? He'll call you and tell Jack you. Jack Klugman? No, not Jack Klugman. Was Jack Klugman on Perry Mason? I have no idea, but we do have a PSA by Jack Klugman choking I know and that, but Jack Klugman, first of all, isn't dead. That's number one. Okay? Yeah. What the hell was his name? I'm not guarantee you Boca Brian will be on the phone before he can say crap. Crap. Like I said, where the hell is he, schmuck? Here's an update on a very important story we had last week. I think we had this story about the spitball. Remember that? Of course. I've been following it closely. San Francisco, a 13-year-old boy was suspended, uh, sentenced yesterday for hitting another boy in the eye with a gum wrapper spitball. <laughs> Only in America, baby. A 13-year-old boy was sentenced yesterday for hitting another boy in the eye with a gum wrapper spitball. Jeffrey Figueroa was sentenced to six days in juvenile hall, put on probation in order to contribute 150 hours of community service in an eye bank. He also was ordered not to make any more spitballs, according to his mother, Yvette Figueroa. Jeffrey and his parents were also ordered to undergo anger management counseling. His parents must also take parenting classes. Are you ready for this? I, I'm, I read it. Jeffrey was facing up to eight years in juvenile hall after being convicted on felony charges of battery and mayhem for hitting a classmate at Walnut Creek Intermediate School with a gum wrapper. So unlike years ago when it was okay to throw spitballs and nobody would ever think of bringing a gun or a knife or something like that into school, now you can bring in weapons and like shoot up the place, that's okay. But if you throw a spitball, then you got real problems. The boy was uh, the boy who was hit had to have surgery after the September incident. Jeffrey's older brother, 14, who was convicted on a lesser charge in a separate incident involving the same boy, was sentenced to five days in juvenile hall, community service, and counseling. Contra Costa County prosecutors called more than 20 neighbors who complained about the boy's behavior. Yvette Figueroa said the fact that both incidents involved the same boy was a coincidence. She said her sons definitely had a learn lesson, but the punishment far exceeded the crime, and she is absolutely correct beyond the shadow of a doubt. I'm not saying my kids are angels, she said. Mistakes are part of growing up. Are we allowed to make mistakes without being crucified? No. No, no, we're not. Because this is America, sweetheart. It's America. And we don't throw spitballs. Hand grenades, that's okay. Guns of every shape, size, and description, that's okay, says the NRA. But we don't have any organization to defend people who throw spitballs. Not yet we don't. Not yet. Hamilton Burger, by the way. Hamilton Burger, excellent. And we do have a uh, Hamilton Burger, but that was his name yes. on the show. Lung cancer, emphysema, smegma. Severia, psoriasis, 
They can all be attributed to the harmful effects of smoking cigarettes. Hello, I'm William Talbot. Perhaps you'll remember me as Hamilton Berger, Raymond Burr's adversary on Perry Mason. Uh-huh. And now, I'm dead. So take it from me. Kick the habit, and you won't wind up like I did. Don't smoke, and you'll never die. <laughs> Ever. This message paid for by the Militant Anti-Smoking Committee for Immortality. Damn it. Hey, anybody got a light? Hey, I'll tell you one thing. Even if you don't smoke, you're going to die someday. You heard that first right here on this show. Oh, God. Even if you try to protect your lungs and you don't smoke anything, even if you don't get any secondhand smoke, you're still going to die. I'm not here promoting smoking. It's a filthy, disgusting habit that uh, discolors your fingers and your uh, tongue and everything. And your teeth makes your teeth. If you want to look British, start smoking. See, the Brits don't have to smoke to do that. Don't they chew like a lot of tobacco? The Brits? Yeah. I have no idea. Oh, yeah, like those lumberjack-looking guys, those rugby-looking type of guys. They, they, they uh, chew and they, they spit it out. And the tobacco, too. Polk County Sheriff's Sergeant arrested. <laughs> this is a great story. Did you read this? Yeah, I did. This is amazing. I'll get to that thing in Newsweek, but I think, uh, well, we'll get to it. When well, I'm good and ready, okay? we got important fish to fry here. A lot of pre-stuff again. Winter Haven. News coverage of a fatal car crash witnessed by a Polk County Sheriff's Sergeant has led to the officer's arrest on unrelated charges. A confidential informant recognized Sergeant Scott Lawson as the officer who had offered jobs to two young men under the condition that he give them medical exams, officials said. Lawson told the victims he met them through his work in law enforcement that he was a physician's ass- assistant. The physicals, <laughs> the physicals included rectal exams. Rectum. Let's hear it. Oh, God. Stupid. Lawson never delivered on the jobs and, of course, was not a physician's assistant, officials said. Lawson, 34, was charged yesterday with five counts of sexual battery and five counts of practicing health care without a license. He resigned from the, for- from the force yesterday. He worked for the department for 11 years. This is over in Winter Haven in Polk County. Remember Polk Salad Annie? Who sang Polk Salad Annie? Don't know. You know the song, though, don't you? Yeah, I've heard it. Was that CCR, Polk Salad Annie? Very possible. Very likely. Uh, oh, get the book. I got the book right here. I got the but don't what was that Figaro thing? What do you keep playing that for today? Filler. Before the show, George was filler. Uh, Polk Salad Annie was by uh, Tony Joe White. If you'd have if you'd have uh, conducted a rectal exam, I still wouldn't have had any idea who that was. I don't know from Tony Joe White. <laughs> anyway, the two victims of this uh, cop were described as men who were about 18 to 19. He repeated, repeatedly gave exams to the victims over a period of months, and arrest reports stated, I, I mean, how stupid could they have been, huh? <laughs> how many times does a guy have to stick his finger in your Rectum. before you finally realize that maybe there's something else going on there? It's not yeah, just your, your, your regular exam. <laughs> That's they yeah, it makes it me think of that visit County. to my mother's bogus doctor's office there a few days ago. Oh, and by the way, thanks to my friend Ed for getting me my uh, blood test results. My cholesterol is only 207, which is a little bit high, but not that bad. LDL is 156. That needs some work. But they're not that bad, really. Triglycerides were like 96. That's under 100 is pretty good, you know, especially considering all the crap I was eating here for a while. Am I eating any more of it? No. No, not too much. A little bit, maybe. Remember that song by the Jarmels, A Little Bit of Crap? No. Do you, you wouldn't even know the real song, a little bit of a little soap. Bit of soap. Sure, we have parodies about it. By the Jarmels. Well, that's a little bit of crap. Is not all bad. Uh, the informant called the sheriff's office after Lawson made headlines last week following a fatal car crash. 
On Friday, he was following a car with a young man and teenage boy inside when they're... Oh, no. This is this is terrible. <laughs> no, it's... This is terrible, man. On Friday, he was following a car with a young man and teenage boy inside when their vehicle left the road and smashed into pine trees. Miles Gregory White, 16, of Lake Hamilton, was killed, and the driver, Adam Luca Jacoby, 18, of Dundee, Luca, was injured in the 3M crash on Lake Hachaniahia Road. Hachaniahia Road. Lawson reportedly told his superiors he was not chasing the car at the time of the crash, but was trying to check it out because he felt the vehicle was suspicious. Maybe he just wanted to get a peek what was going on in there. It wasn't clear how news coverage of that case prompted the informant to offer the tip on the sex abuse cases, but he did. He offered his tip. Rectum. That is just incredible. How many times? That's a good poll question one day we'll do. How many times do we, uh, does somebody have to stick their finger in your... Rectum. Before you start questioning the emotives. 20 or 30? I guess it all depends on whether they use a glove or not. Yeah, I was a little suspicious of that doctor the other day in Hollywood because, you know, if he was doing like a real rectal exam, like a prostate exam, generally they put a glove on. Miami Herald wins Pulitzer for coverage of Alien Raid. Oh, how sad. The Herald's coverage of Alien Gonzalez's seizure by armed federal agents and the emotional aftermath of the pre-dawn raider in the newspaper, its 17th Pulitzer Prize on Monday. Well, isn't that great? The Herald's entry, Saga of Alien, the Raid and the Reunion, won in the breaking news category. How's the fisherman doing, as a matter of fact, now that we were talking about this? Gone fishing. Oh. A dramatic photo of armed federal agents with weapons drawn facing the terrified boy. And, of course, we know that's the uh, supposed fisherman in the closet with little boy. Won the Pulitzer Prize for breaking news photography but for Alan Diaz, an AP photographer. How do you like that? Another spick, Alan Diaz. Oh, bro, that's exciting news, huh? Here's some more good news. Oh, I'll save that. Here, Here's a little message, okay? Very short story. Since uh, the, the councils, the bishops and all these people are getting together, they're holding their meet next week in Dallas, and they're having a little bit of a difficult time figuring out exactly how to do it to pacify everybody, take a page out of this story from the Vietnamese, all right? Hanoi, Vietnam, a teacher convicted of raping six elementary school students, has been executed by a firing squad, a court official in Vietnam's Central Highlands said today. Nguyen Van Phu, 37, was sentenced to death in 1999 for raping six of his students aged 8 and 9 over five days in 1997. He sexually molested another six students, the official said, on condition of anonymity. Phu was executed on May 22, the official said. Fu, a teacher in Daklak province, 220 miles north of Ho Chi Minh City, was arrested after the parents reported him to the police. More and more cases of child rape and sex abuse have been reported in Vietnam's state-controlled press in recent years. Rape of a child under 13 is punishable by death in Vietnam. And you know what I say to that? 3900 for Identity Guard. The Neil Rogers Show on 560 WQAM, Miami, Fort Lauderdale. It's Friday, you bastards. Smoking pot, 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 pot. 
Christ. Stupid. Fine. Ten oh two at five sixty. If you turn on channel seventy seven, there, man, I, I have it. The gambling channel. You notice the key support level. That's one of those terms they like to use. <laughs> the Nasdaq has sunk through the uh, fifteen hundred barrier, and now fourteen ninety eight is down fifty five and a half point. The Dow is down one hundred and forty one point. Is now below ninety five hundred ninety four eighty eight. Just unbelievable, shocking. As and this is based on a couple of days of uh, fairly decent unemployment news. But the court and, and the, the day before, didn't Oracle give like a little bit of good news? And yep. by the way, it went. But Intel yesterday gave like some bad news. And I'm going to tell you, if anything, like if somebody farts somewhere in the world, I'm not even talking about like some war between India and Pakistan, heaven forbid, nuclear war, or like even worse stuff in the Middle East, if that's possible, or another terrorist attack, heaven forbid. Although, didn't Robert Mueller say it was going to happen? It's not a matter of if. It's a question of when. And remember what uh, Tommy Thompson said, old cheesehead, who they've they've stuck him in a broom closet. Oh, yeah, he was an outdoorsman. He drank from a crick. <laughs> from a crick. Yeah, he probably just had a little crick in his neck. I don't know about you, but people who talk like that who say crick and roof. Oh, yeah. man, they just send me into orbit. They send me right to the old bowl. <laughs> I mean, I can't stand that. He drank from a crick. <laughs> yeah, he was an outdoors guy. It just nothing. It just, uh, you know, don't get all panicky now. Just an isolated incident. And then once we found out it wasn't a, remember that uh, press conference they had up there in Palm Beach with the new, uh, the health, uh, the Department of Health guy? Uh huh. Who was like his second day on a job? Oh, brother. And they, uh, they made a few pronouncements and then they ran away. Oh, we'll take some questions, but won't we change their mind? See ya. And they, they ran out of there, that Schwarzer guy in Palm Beach. I don't want to bring back all those bad memories, but the fact of the matter is, it's pretty embarrassing. England beat Argentina in the World Cup one to nil. That's a final, one to nil. So nice going, all you bloody Brits. You give me the Schmitz. Here's the story. The hijackers we let escape by Michael Isikoff and Daniel Clayman in the uh, June 10th Newsweek front page story. This is the one the entire world is talking about. That now you notice that they're doing the, uh, they're doing a real tap dance up there. And the uh, president comes on last night and we, now we got another new agency. Every week we're going to have another new agency to try to cover up the deficiencies from the past and the present. Pathetic. But hey, there's still, in fact, I got a story about the New Orleans brothel. I got, if I get to that today, which I doubt, maybe Monday. And then, of course, Kevin Richardson of the Backstreet Boys testifying before Congress and Chelsea Baby Shocker. Oh, I got all kinds of stuff. Tons. I got piles today, man. But anyway, getting back to this from Newsweek. And this will take a little while, so bear with me. It's worth paying attention. Kuala Lumpur is an easy choice if you're looking to lie low. Clean and modern with reliable telephones, banks, and internet service. The Malaysian city is a painless flight for most world capitals, and Muslim visitors don't need visas to enter the Islamic country. That may explain why al-Qaeda chose the sprawling metropolis for a secret planning summit in early January 2000. Tucked away in a posh suburban condominium overlooking a Jack Nicholas-designed golf course, nearly a dozen of Osama Yamama bin Laden's trusted followers posing as tourists plotted future terrorist strikes against the U.S. At the time, the men had no idea that they were being closely watched or that the CIA already knew some of their names. 
A few days earlier, U.S. intelligence had gotten wind of the Qaeda gathering. Special Branch, Malaysia's security service, agreed to follow and photograph the suspected terrorists. They snapped pictures of the men sightseeing and ducking into cyber cafes to check Arabic websites. What happened next, some U.S. counterterrorism officials say, may be the most puzzling and devastating intelligence failure in the critical months before September the 11th. A few days after the Kuala Lumpur meeting, Newsweek has learned the C... <coughs> The CIA tracked one of the terrorists, Nawaf al-Zahami. Did I say that right? No. Nawaf al-Hazmi, as he flew from the meeting to L.A. Agents discovered that another of the men, Khalid al-Midar, had already obtained a multiple entry visa that allowed him to enter and leave the U.S. as he pleased. They later learned that he had, in fact, arrived in the U.S. on the same flight as al-Hazmi. Yet, astonishingly, the CIA did nothing with this information. Agency officials did not tell the INS, which could have turned them away at the border, nor did they notify the FBI, which could have covertly tracked them to find out their mission. Instead, during the year and nine months after the CIA identified them as terrorists, Al-Hazmi and Al-Midar lived openly in the U.S. using their real names, obtaining driver's licenses, opening bank accounts, and enrolling in flight schools until the morning of September the 11th when they walked aboard American Airlines Flight 77 and crashed it into the Pentagon. Until now, the many questions about intelligence shortcomings leading up to the attacks have focused on the FBI's clear failure to connect various vague clues that might have put them on the trail of the terrorists. Last week, in the aftermath of the Minnesota agent Colleen Rowley's scathing letter ripping the FBI for ignoring warnings from the field, Director Robert Mueller announced a series of reforms aimed at modernizing the Bureau. All along, the CIA's counterterrorism base camp for the agency's war on bin Laden was sitting on information that could have led federal agents right to the terrorist doorstep. Almadar and Al-Hazmi parading across American plane site could have could not have been easier to find. Newsweek has learned that when Almadar's visa expired, the State Department, not knowing any better, simply issued him a new one in June 2001, even though by then the CIA had linked him to one of the suspected bombers of the USS Cole in October of 2000. The two terrorists' frequent meetings with the other September 11th perpetrators could have provided federal agents with a roadmap to the entire cast of 9-11 hijackers. But the FBI didn't know it was supposed to be looking for them until three weeks before the strikes when CIA Director George Tenet, worried an attack was imminent, ordered agency analysts to review their files. It was only then, August 23, 2001, that the agency sent out an all-points bulletin launching law enforcement agents on a frantic and futile search for the two men. Why didn't the CIA share its information sooner? We could have done it a lot better, that's for sure, one top intelligence officer told Newsweek. The CIA's belated and reluctant admission now makes it impossible to avoid the question that law enforcement officials have tried to duck for weeks. Could we have stopped them? Tenet has vigorously defended his agency's performance in the months before the attacks. In February, he told a Senate panel that he was proud of the CIA's record. He insisted that the terrorist strikes were not due to a failure of attention and discipline and focus and consistent effort, and the American people needed to understand that. Yet last week, intelligence officials acknowledged that the agency made at least one mistake, failing to notify the State Department and the INS so the men could have been stopped at the border. CIA officials have, who have been preparing for the start of a Senate Intelligence Committee hearing this week seem at a loss to explain how this could have happened. The CIA is usually loath to share information with other government agencies for fear of compromising sources and methods. CIA officials also say at the time Al-Midar and Al-Hazmi entered the country in January of 2000, they hadn't yet been identified as bin Laden terrorists despite their attendance at the Malaysia meeting. It wasn't known for sure that they were al-Qaeda bad guy operators, says one official. CIA officials also point out that the FBI agents assigned to the CIA's counterterrorism center were at least informed about the Malaysia meeting and the, and the presence of al-Madar and al-Hazmi at the time it occurred. But FBI officials protest that they only recently learned about the most crucial piece of information, 
that the CIA knew al-Hazmi was in the country and that Almadar could enter at will. That was unforgivable, said one senior FBI official. This led to a series of intense and angry encounters along, among U.S. officials in the weeks after September 11th. At one White House meeting last fall, Wayne Griffith, a top State Department consular official, was so furious that his office hadn't been told about the two men that he blew up at a CIA agent. Griffith declined to comment. To bolster their case, FBI officials are now prepared a detailed chart showing how agents could have uncovered the terrorist plot if they learned about Almadar and al-Hazmi sooner, giving their frequent contact with at least five of the other hijackers. There is no question we could have tied all 19 hijackers together, the officials said. It was an old-fashioned interrogation and eavesdropping that first led U.S. intelligence agents to the al-Qaeda plotters. In the summer of 1998, only a couple of weeks after bin Laden operatives truck bombed two U.S. embassies in Africa, the FBI got a break. One of the Nairobi bombers had been caught. Mohammed Rashid Daoud al-Hawawali, whatever the hell his name is, a young Saudi from a wealthy family who became a fierce bin Laden loyalist, was supposed to have killed himself in the blast. Instead, he got out of the truck at the last moment and fled. He was arrested in a seedy Nairobi hotel waiting for his compatriots to smuggle him out of the country. Questioned by the FBI, al-Ohali made a detailed confession. Among the inform information he gave agents was the telephone number of a al-Qaeda safe house in Yemen owned by a Yemeni bin Laden loyalist named Ahmed al-Hada, who turns out to be al-Madar's father-in-law. U.S. intelligence began listening in on the telephone line of the Yemen house, described in government documents as a al-Qaeda logistics center where terrorist strikes, including the Africa bombings and later the coal attack in Yemen, were planned. Operatives around the world phoned al-Hada with information which was then related to bin Laden in the Afghan mountains. In late December 1999, intercepted conversations with the Yemen phone tipped off agents to the January 2000 Kuala Lumpur summit and to the names of at least two of its participants, Al-Midar and Hazmi. The condo where the meeting took place was a weekend getaway owned by Yazid Sufat, a U.S. Educa uh, educated microbiologist who has become a radical Islamist and bin Laden follower. He was arrested last December when he returned from Afghanistan, where he had served as a field medic for the Taliban. Sufat's lawyer says his clients let the men stay at his place because he believes in allowing his property to be used for charitable purposes, but he claims Sufat had no idea they were terrorists. To be continued momentarily. Can I continue momentarily? Please. Well, it goes on. Not that much longer, but it's Chilling. very disturbing, I think. Ain't it disturbing? Uh -huh. Very aggravating. Twelve minutes after ten at 560 WQ, I'll tell you another thing that's aggravating is shopping for a new mattress, and I'll tell you why it's aggravating to me that people are doing it because they don't know how to do it right. Shopping for a new mattress requires one thing, a telephone. That's all you have to have. Make one easy phone call to our good friends at Dollar Mattress. That's all you have to be doing. 1-800-MATTRESS. That's all you got to know is that number. Because if you want the top quality name brand mattress of your choice, if you want a price that's unbeatable every day of your life, and if you want delivery service that's uh, phenomenal, and, of course, that 30-day in-home comfort guarantee, then all of these things can be made just by one phone call to 1-800-MATTRESS, like I always do, 1-800-M-A-T-T-R-E-S. You want Serta, Sealy, Simmons, King Coil, no matter what you want, they got it in stock ready for immediate delivery. And speaking of delivery, they deliver it right to your door, take away the crappy old bedding, whenever it's convenient for you. Any two-hour window that you pick, noon to two, one to three, to three to five, et cetera, and so on. Any day of the week, seven days a week. And like I said, they give you that 30-day in-home comfort trial, lets you check out the new mattress the right way, the only smart way, by sleeping on it. So if you want to be sleeping like a baby, if the old mattress is bumpy and lumpy and worn out and giving your back all kinds of heck, pick up that phone and call them right now, toll-free. Did I say heck? 1-800-MATTRESS. Well, that was kind of stupid. 1-800-M-A-T-T-R-E-S. Or look them up on their Wicked World Wide Web. AM 790. At 730. A service of Sports Radio 560. QAM. 
feel good. Trouble with Father's Day gifts in the past? Here you go, Dad. Happy Father's Day. What'd you get me this year? A manicure. What? Happy Father's Day. What'd you get me this year? A pedicure. What are you thinking? Happy Father's Day. Aromatherapy candle. Are you on drugs? An astrology reading. I don't want that crap. This year, get Dad something he needs. Here you go, Dad. Happy Father's Day. Anger management classes. What? Anger management classes at DeVry. You little bitch. Bite me, you fat bastard. By the way, Mike Hernandez is a douchebag. Do you see this fax? I'm sure you did. Yeah, I you did. Sent it to me. Well, I'll get to it. Do you want me to read that before I finish with the... Uh... No, no, I'm hanging over here. Oh. It says, good morning, Neil. I don't, uh, don't know if you've seen or heard about the following article, but upon reading it, I thought that hilarious parody about Clear Channel said to Goodbye English Rose. Uh, it's from the Free Rag Southeast Performers May 2002 issue. Uh, can't listen to radio anymore because, well, at any rate. Michael Moot in Hialeah, who says Mike Hernandez is a douchebag. Okay, I'll get to that, but i got to finish this first. Okay, can I do that? See, I'm getting so much stuff piled up here, it's uh, bad, bad. And all That's of it's got to get on today. Oh, speaking of bad, look at that. Can I get off of that? I see I'm only watching that from a sadistic point of view, that market stuff, because it makes me feel like maybe finally for like Stevie Wonder would say, for once in my life, I did something kind of right. Oh, hi, Stevie. How you doing? Wave to Stevie. Okay, getting back to this Newsweek article. After the meeting, Malaysian intelligence continued to watch the condo at the CIA's request, but after a while, the agency lost interest. Had agents kept up the surveillance, they might have observed another beneficiary of Sufat's charity, Zacharias Masawi, who stayed there on his way to the U.S. later that year. The Malaysians say they were surprised by the CIA's lack of interest following the Kuala Lumpur meeting. We couldn't fathom it, really. Rais Yatim, Malaysia's legal affairs minister, told Newsweek there was no show of concern. Immediately after the meeting, Al-Hazmi boarded a plane to Bangkok, where he met a connecting flight to L.A. on January 15, 2000. Since the CIA hadn't told the State Department to put his name on the watch list of suspected terrorists or told the INS to be on the lookout for him, he breezed through the airport and into America. Al-Nidar was also on that plane, though CIA agents didn't know it at the time. The CIA is forbidden from spying on people inside the United States. Had it followed standard procedure and passed the baton of the FBI once they crossed the border, agents would have discovered that Al-Nidar and Al-Hazmi weren't just visiting California, they were already living there. The men had moved into an apartment in San Diego two months before the Kuala Lumpur meeting. The CIA's reluctance to divulge what it knew is especially odd because as 2000 dawned, U.S. law enforcement agencies were on red alert certain that a bin Laden strike somewhere in the world would come at any moment. There was certainly reason to believe bin Laden was sending men here to do a grave harm. Just a few weeks before, an alert customs inspector had caught another kind of terrorist, Ahmed Rassam, as he tried to cross the Canadian border in a rental car packed with explosives. His mission was to blow up L.A. airport. Perhaps agency officials let down their guard after warnings about a Millennium Eve attack never materialized. Whatever the reason, Al-Hazmi and Al-Madar fell off their radar screen. Radar screen, what did I just say? Radar well, maybe they were there to play for the Raiders. Free to do as they pleased, the 25-year-old Al-Hazmi and 26-year-old Al-Midar went about their terrorist training in Southern California. They told people they were buddies from Saudi Arabia, hoping to learn English and become commercial airline pilots. The clean-shaven Al-Hazmi and Al-Midar played soccer in the park with other Muslim men and prayed the required five times a day at the area mosque. Watch out for those soccer people! They bought season passes to SeaWorld and dined on fast food, leaving the burger wrapper strewn around their sparsely furnished apartment. Watch out for people who eat fast food. And despite their religious convictions, the men frequented area strip clubs. Hey, how do you like that? Just like the ones in Florida. Neighbors huh. found it odd that the men would rarely use the telephones in their apartment. Instead, they routinely went outside to make calls on mobile phones. People who knew the men recall they couldn't have been more different. Al-Hazmi was outgoing and cheerful, making friends easily. 
He once posted an ad online seeking a Mexican mail-order bride and worked diligently to improve his English. By contrast, Almidar was dark and brooding and expressed disgust with American culture. One evening he chided a Muslim acquaintance for watching immoral American television. If you're so religious, why don't you have facial hair? The friend shot back. Almidar patted him condescendingly on the knee. You'll know someday, brother, he said. Neither man lost sight of the primary mission, learning to fly airplanes. Almidar and Al-Hazmi took their flight lessons seriously, but they were impossible to teach. Instructor Rick Garza at Sorby's Flying Club gave both men a half dozen classes on the ground before taking them up in a single-engine Cessna in May. They were only interested in flying big jets, Garza recalls, but Garza soon gave up on, this, uh, on his hapless students. I just thought they didn't have the aptitude, he says. They were like dumb and dumber. Had law enforcement agents been looking for Al-Hazmi and Al-Madar at the time, they could have easily tracked them through bank records. In September 2000, Al-Hazmi opened a $3,000 checking account at the Bank of America branch. The men also used their real names on driver's licenses, social security cards, and credit cards. When Almadar brought a dark blue 1988 Toyota Corolla for $3,000 cash, he registered it in his name. He later signed the registration over to Al-Hazmi, whose name was on the papers when the car was found at Dulles International Airport on the 11th of September. Of course, agents might have used another resource to pinpoint their location, the phone book. Page 13 of the 2000-2001 Pacific Bell White Pages contains a listing for Al-Hazmi, Nawaf M. Al-Hazmi, 6401 Mount Ada Road, and the number, etc., and so on. By then, though, the case seems to have gotten lost deep in the CIA's files, but Almadar's name and face surfaced yet again in the aftermath of the October 2000 bombing of the coal. Within days of the attack, a team of FBI agents flew to Yemen to investigate, they soon began closing in on suspects. One was a man called Taufik bin Atash, a.k.a. Khalad, a fierce one-legged kind of fighter. When analysts at the CIA's counterterrorism center in Langley, Virginia, pulled out the file on Khalad, they discovered pictures of him taken at the Kuala Lumpur meeting. In one of the shots, he's standing next to Almadar. If, as the CIA now claims, it wasn't certain that Almadar had terrorist connections, it certainly knew it now, and yet the agency still did nothing and notified nobody. In mid to late 2000, Almadar left San Diego for good. It appears that he spent the next several months bouncing around the Middle East and Southeast Asia. While he was away, his visa expired, a potentially big problem. Yet since the CIA was still not sharing information about Almadar's al-Qaeda connections, the State Department's consular office in Saudi Arabia simply rubber-stamped him a brand new one. Almadar returned to the U.S. on July 4, 2001, flying into New York. He spent at least some of the time leading up to September traveling around the East Coast and at least once meeting with Mohammed Atta and several other 9-11 plotters in Las Vegas. Meanwhile, Al-Hazmi, having flunked out of two California flight schools, decided to try his luck in Phoenix early in 2001. There he hooked up with another al-Qaeda terrorist in training, Hanji Han Hani Hanjur, who eventually piloted Flight 77. In April 2001, Al-Hazmi headed east and was pulled over for speeding, Oklahoma State Trooper C.L. Parkins ran Al-Hazmi's California driver's license through the computer, checked to see if his car was stolen, and made sure there wasn't a warrant out for Al-Hazmi's arrest. When nothing came up, he issued the terrorist two tickets, totaling 138 bucks, and sent him on his way. The tickets were not discovered until after 9-11. Like Almidar, Al-Hazmi eventually went east, spending time in New Jersey and Maryland. On August 25th, he used his credit card to purchase two tickets for Flight 77. Two days earlier, CIA officials frank finally and frantically awoke to their mistake. That summer, as U.S. intelligence picked up repeated signals that bin Laden was about to launch a major assault, Tenet ordered his staff to scrub the agency's files, looking for anything that might help them thwart whatever was coming. It didn't take long to discover the file on Almadar and Al-Hazmi. CIA officials checked with the INS, only to discover that Almadar had traveled out of the country and was allowed back in on his new visa. 
On August 23rd, the CIA sent out an urgent cable labeled immediate to the State Department, Customs, INS, and FBI, telling them to put the two men on the terrorism watch list. The FBI began an aggressive full-field investigation. Agents searched all nine Marriott hotels in New York City, the place Almadar had listed as his destination on his immigration forms in July. They also searched hotels in L.A. where the two men originally entered the country back in 1999. But it's unclear whether agents scoured public records for driver's licenses and phone numbers or tried to track uh, plane ticket purchases. In preparation for their mission, the men had gone to ground. Now, amid the escalating blame wars in Washington, federal agents are left to wonder, ah, how different things might have been. Oh, there's oh my one God. Ah, oh, a big purple one. I knew it was coming up. Now, amid the escalating blame wars in Washington, federal agents are left to wonder how different things might have been if they'd started that search nearly two years before. The FBI's claim that it could have unraveled the plot by watching Al-Hazmi and Al-Madar and connecting the dots between them and the other terrorists seems compelling. The links would not have been difficult to make. Al-Hazmi met up with Hanjur, the Flight 77 pilot, in Phoenix in late 2000. Six months later, in May 2001, the two men showed up in New Jersey and opened up shared bank accounts with two other plotters, Ahmed Al-Hamadi and Majed Moked. The next huh? month, Al-Hazmi... I love these names. Moked? <clears throat> Moped. Moked, M-O-Q-E-D, Moked. The critics call him Mo for short, okay? If there's a but, I smell it. The next month, Al-Hazmi helped two other hijackers, Salam Al-Hazmi, his brother, and Abdul Aziz Al-Amari, open their, bank account, uh, their own bank accounts. Two months after that, in August 2001, the trail would have led to the pilot's ringleader, Mohammed Atta, who had bought plane tickets for Moked and Al-Amari. What's more, at least several of the hijackers had traveled to Las Vegas for meeting in summer 2001, just weeks before the attacks. It's like three degrees of separation, insists an FBI official. But would that have even been enough? There's no doubt that Al-Hazmi and Al-Madar could have been stopped from coming into the country if the CIA had shared its information with other agencies, but then two other hijackers could have been sent to take their place. And given how little the FBI understood Al-Qaeda's way of operating and how it managed to mishandle the key clues it did have, it's possible that agents could have identified all 19 hijackers and still not figured out what they were up to. That, one former FBI official suggests, could have led to the cruelest 9-11 scenario of all. We would have had the FBI watching them get on the plane in Boston and calling Los Angeles, he says, asking, could you pick them up at the other end? <laughs> end of story. How do you like that? Is that enough to make the hair on your... Rectum. Twitch a little bit? Blech. Piss you off? Blech. Gets me pissed off and fired up, I'll tell you that, right now. 920 or 1026, 10, don't say 9, do not do that. One thing we learned a long time ago on this show is don't say... Nine. 1026 at 560 WQAM. I'll tell you a guy who's pissed off and fired up all... Well, he's not pissed off. He's just fired up. Tom Lehman over at Hallett Pontiac GMC. He's so fired up that he's got Hallett's off-the-wall invoice sale going on right now. Stop by Hallett at 13401 South Dixie Highway on US-1, right across the street from the falls, where, as I speak, the lowest sale price in the universe is marked right there on the invoice on all brand-new 2002 cars and trucks in stock. And you can choose 1.9% financing or up to a $3,500 rebate. And not only Tom Lehman, but all the sales holes down there at Hallett know that Bob Eisenberg's got a really silly-looking piece. You might want to discuss that with him while you're making your deal. Check out the complete line of GMC SUVs, including the Envoy, voted by Motor Trend as SUV of the Year. And check out the all-new Vibe SUV, the one everybody's talking about. Vibe's got the power of a sports car at just a fraction of the price. Hallett's also got an unbeatable, a dependable selection of great pre-owned cars, trucks, and SUVs. If you've been turned down for credit by some other douchebag someplace else, no problem. They'll work your deal at Hallett. It's the off-the-wall invoice sale going on right now at Hallett Pontiac GMC, 13401 South Dixie Highway. That's on US-1 across from the falls, open every single day, seven days a week. You can call them at 305-238-4040. 305-238-4040 for Hallett Pontiac GMC, where they say 
Chris Regal's Talking Hardball. Weekends prior to Marlins Baseball on Sports Radio 560 QAM. It puts the lotion in the basket. I can remember back when radio was cool. I said when I grow up, that's what I want to do. But now it's run by greedy corporate holes and suits that only care about the bottom line, not you. They are omnipotent, their power has no end. Because the CEO is daddy Bush's friend. Consultants know what's meant for you to hear instead. Thirty-two at five sixty WQAM. So uh, Mike from uh, Hialeah faxes me this story. Very depressing. Radio killed the radio star. It says the American and boy, you got to have good eyesight to read this. Did yeah, you see how small this print is? Yep. I got good eyesight. Good. The American Federation of Television and Radio Artists declared Clear Channel has expanded its dominance to such a degree that there is concern that both radio and sound recordings and industries have been forever transformed and destroyed. Absolutely correct, sir. In a 20-page annotated memo from after to the FCC, the trade group claimed consolidation in the radio industry since 1996 has harmed the public interest by reducing diversity and competition in local radio markets, which is exactly what I said when this crap came down at IOD. Remember that day? Yep. I said, this is the end, baby. For the listeners, for the people in the business, this is the freaking end. The brief goes on to state, this consolidation has also caused particular harm to recording artists and to the music industry, and that the harms to the public interest are uh, illustrated by Clear Channel, Cheap Channel, call them whatever you want, assholes. The brief submitted by AFTRA's National Director of News and Broadcasting, Thomas R. Carpenter, and National Director of Sound Recordings, Ann Chalovitz, says the loosening of station ownership limitations since the Telecommunications Act of 1996 has had a devastating impact on diversity and competition in radio competition, alienating, uh, what is it, eliminating the diversity in news, entertainment, and public affairs programming. The paper insists the 1996 Act directed the FCC to revise its rules in order to permit consideration and meaningful inv uh, investigation of how the Commission's regulatory structure did or did not foster the public interest, making it, entirely appropriate to consider other factors beyond mere numerical limits. After points out that the radio industry consolidation has harmed the public interest by reducing diversity in news and public affairs programming, as well as the advertising competition in local radio markets. The paper devotes an entire section to the harm it has caused the music industry by greatly reducing diversity and localism. The local character of radio has largely vanished. There's been a sharp reduction in the amount and variety of regional uh, distinctions in music broadcast over the radio, and certain anti-competitive business practices have taken hold. 
after claims certain music formats have been eliminated from the airwaves altogether, including classical jazz and bluegrass, while the role of disc jockeys and PDs to program music to local taste and performances is also being eliminated. The amount of advertising is also increased in comparison to programming. Clear Channel comes under particular scrutiny, especially in the, uh, the conglomerate's purchase of SFX Entertainment in 1999, which gave it the power to limit promotional support of bands and artists who are performing for other companies, all other venues, or who are sponsored by uh, other stations. Some of the remaining uh, independent concert promoters have alleged Clear Channel is engaging in anti-competitive behavior by using its leverage to force smaller companies out of business. The brief points to the exclusive agreement between radio group Cumulus and Jeff McCluskey and Associates, another uh, partnership. Boy, this this is tough to read. I know. As another partnership, noting the public's uh, not in the public's interest, stating dominant radio group owners now control the music market through exclusive agreements with independent promoters who decide what music gets played on the stations. The conclusion states, ah! oh, look at that, lime green again. Huh. I just munged it right on where it said clear channel. Ew. The conclusion states that Clear Channel's unregulated ownership consolidation in radio is destroying diversity and localism in music and promoting anti-competitive market conditions and urges the FCC to conduct public hearings on the effect of deregulation and ownership consolidation in the radio industry since 1996, and they are... Absolutely correct, sir. Good luck to you, okay? They're too busy worrying about whether somebody says crap on here. They're still into that garbage. Just like the goddamn Justice Department is still too busy raiding a, a whorehouses. Can you believe that? The FBI involved in a goddamn whorehouse raid in New Orleans, which I got this story way down in a pile somewhere, which I probably won't get to, but maybe tomorrow or on Monday. Isn't that great that they're using our taxpayer time and money for stuff like that? What a shocker. Yeah. Makes me want to barf right here on the goddamn ear. How's that pool coming about smoking? That's another thing that they're spending a lot of time, just like John Ashcroft said. Let's get the pot people. We can't get the terrorists, but let's at least get the pot people. Oh! Put them all in jail for 20 years. 212 votes on our poll. What do you smoke? I don't smoke anything. So, you know, we ought to be asking Greg Reed that. What do you smoke? He must be smoking something. I don't smoke anything. 68. Oh, that's pulling away. Do you believe that? Yeah, I do, actually. Oh. Pot, 39. That's I used to smoke. Me. I used to smoke cigarettes, but quit 29. Cigarettes and pot, 25. Boy, that's a double. That's a double dipper. Cigars, 19. Cigars and pot, 16. Used to smoke pot, but quit nine. Cigarettes, six. And I used to smoke cigars, but quit only one. And, of course, that's because nobody quit smoking cigars, Mom. <laughs> now, who just died here a little while ago that was a big cigar smoker? Uh... Oh, no, it wasn't somebody that just died. I'm sorry. And you wouldn't know anyway. It was Pat Quinn, the coach of the Leafs. Okay. He missed a couple of games in the Carolina series because they rushed him to the hospital because he was having chest pains. And he's a big, fat, heavy guy who likes a little a little pop every now and then. Plus, he's chomping on cigars all day. And they said, give up the cigars. And he said, well, I don't inhale them. And they said, big deal. I just mentioned that in passing. They're not the best for your health, but those of us who smoke cigars, we never give them up. I don't smoke as many as I used to. And I certainly don't smoke those big, fat gut wrenchers, the ones, the ones that taste like donkey crap, but uh, nevertheless... Pretty hard to give up a cigar. You know, just once in a while. Just right. maybe 15, 20 of them a day like Al. Here's good news. Arrangements are being made in Lakeland, Florida, for R&B singer R. Kelly to surrender to Chicago police uh, today on charges of child pornography, according to a spokesman. Isn't it amazing how everybody's got a spokesman? I think that's your problem, George. I think you need a spokesman. I do. Anybody want to volunteer? No. Kelly posted bond was released from jail in Florida, the Polk County Sheriff's Department said yesterday. A lot of stuff going on in Polk County, you know what? 
It's enough to make me want to play poke salad, Annie, if I had it, but I don't have it. He was arrested in Florida Wednesday, hours after he was indicted by a grand jury in Chicago on 21 counts of child pornography, stemming from a videotape that allegedly shows the star performing sexual acts with a 14-year-old girl, and George wants to see the tape. No idea. Why not? Because he's in it. Why do you just kind of like ignore him? You don't want to see what she looks like? No. Yes, you do. Why do you lie like that? Because I don't. Okay. Anybody believe him? I mean, all these emphatic denials are kind Stupid. of... Stupid. The 35-year-old singer, whose full name is Robert Kelly, denies the allegations. Kelly's spokesman, Alan Mayer, said at the time of the Grammy-winning singer's arrival in Chicago was not yet definite, but he would turn himself over to police sometime today. If convicted, Kelly could be sentenced up to 50 years in prison and fined a maximum of 100 grand. I'm not buying his records anymore. Authorities said an investigation was launched February 1 after the Chicago Sun-Times newspaper received an anonymous videotape along with the claim the man in the video was Kelly. The paper turned the tape over to police, which then had its sex crimes unit investigate further. Investigators interviewed more than 50 witnesses who went before the grand jury and identified the singer as the person in the video, authorities said. The FBI crime lab in Quantico, Virginia, authenticated the tape, they said. Cook County State's Attorney Richard Devine said the grand jury indicted Kelly, who's best known for his smash hit, I believe I can fly on seven counts of videotaping the sex acts, seven counts of producing the video, and seven counts of soliciting or enticing the girl into having the act in the first place. Authorities will not comment on the identity of the girl in the videotape. The Chicago Sun-Times said she was the then 14-year-old daughter of an associate of R. Kelly's, but added that the girl and her parents have denied the allegations. Somebody we know once told me, you don't mess around with associates' daughters. Who told you that? Or stepdaughters, things like that. I'm not saying... It would be in bad taste to say it on the air. You can think about it. Okay. Got the answer? No. 20 before 11 at 560 WQM. Don't forget to join uh, the Mad Dog for live broadcast at Hooters today in Pembroke Pines. Pines Boulevard University Drive from 1 to 3. The prize patrol. I guess Miguel's going to be there with our crappy prizes, nope. right? Nope. Like I said, Miguel does not want to have any part of it. Well, not, why not? It's at Hooters. It starts at 1. Oh, I see. The QM Prize Patrol will be there with our usual marginal crap that, that nobody wants. And you can register to win dinner for two of the uh, Marlins outfielder Kevin Millar, too, which somebody might want. Mad Dog 1 to 3. We got Eddie K for Hank 3 to 7. Hanks at the uh, Belmont doing other stuff. 7 o'clock, we got UM against South Carolina, the Super Regional. Then, of course, at 7.30, that switches over to Waxy, 7.90 or 7.10, depending on whether it's Tom Jacobs Radio or yours. 7.30, Marlins on deck. 8.05, the Marlins at the Twins. 11 o'clock, it's the big oh! on any show from 11 to 2. And Joe and Mark, the Dirty Boys. Overnight. I can bet you the Dirty Boys would like to see that 14-year-old chick. We'll ask them. In fact, maybe she'll show up on one of those videos that uh, people are talking about around the station that Moses was telling me about. Remember Holy Moses? Yeah, I remember. In fact, I think he's kin to... Jesus Christ. Thinking of painting your home or business? Don't paint. Protect your investment with liquid ceramic. Liquid ceramic, the technology born in NASA's space program, is available right now in South Florida. Liquid ceramic is the most advanced exterior, uh, say it again, advanced exterior, interior, and roof coating available. That's what I just said. You, too, can have the same high-tech ceramic te uh, technology that shields the space shuttle, protecting your home or building, and you'll never, ever have to paint again. That's correct. Liquid ceramic is guaranteed for as long as you own your home or building. So forget about repainting every few years or any time at all. Liquid ceramic won't fade. It won't peel. It's guaranteed. This state-of-the-art coating yields an R24 insulation equivalency, helping you bring those electric bills down. Liquid Ceramics available in over 1,800 different colors. So check out Liquid Ceramic today. Make one easy call, no obligation. Call 305-347-5122. Liquid Ceramics been manufactured and sold for over 40 years, and the good news for you is now it's available right in South Florida. 
Call 305-347-5122 or visit them on the Internet at liquidceramic.tv. When you call, be sure and tell them that old Neil told you to call 305-347. It's the Florida Marlins take on the Minnesota Twins. All right. Which gets underway at 730 on Sports Radio 560 QAM. It's Friday, you bastards. Hi, my name is Get some nine-inch straws and suck down some Mai Tais. I've been working out. Want to feel Mai Tais? You'll fly high. How do you know if you never tried, guys? Tonight I got a date, and I'm trying to get my head straight, but I can't figure out which Spice Girl I want to impersonate. And Dr. Gay says, Sweetie, you're a queen. Uh-uh. Look at that wing, boy. You're on the team. Well, since age 12, I felt up my first male. And ever since then, never failed at chasing that tail. Got pissed off and ripped my ex-boyfriend's nips off. Kissed him and said, I didn't know Blitz made lips this off. Smoke a fat powdered pole, then paint on my mole. Orgasmic control is my ultimate goal. Come here, slut. Wait, get away from me. I'm your bro, dog. I don't give a fuck. I take them. So take your clothes off. Hi, my name is... Okay, whatever you say. Man, oh man, all these faxes about the music industry and it's in trouble and uh, all this other. Why do you fax me all that stuff? Any special reason? Oh, because? Probably because of the same reason that, now you couldn't possibly have faxed me this uh, Mandage promo because I just got through reading it. Who faxed me this? I, I did. Miguel told me to. I just got promo? through reading it. Not the Mandage promo, dumbass. That's the only one you the gave me. The Alehouse one. God, are you a dumbass or what, That's man? You, you are really stupid. No. God. Yeah. Miguel said, refax that thing, and Fist I fight. the only one that he gave me. I didn't give you that. You did give me that. Kick him in the nuts, George. It's your only hope. Yeah, George only comes up to Miguel's knee anyway, so if we have a fist fight, you know, his only chance is to, like, you know, fist him in the nuts. Kind of like Timmy and uh, Peggy, or is it Timmy and the Norma, whatever on Passions. Don't miss Passions, by the way. It's heavy duty today. Heavy, heavy duty. Jury reaches verdict in Kennedy Cousin trial, the Skakel trial. Let's hear it. Oh. Anybody interested? No. Well, they haven't announced it yet anyway, but I got my eye on it. But you still have to have the evidence to support it. And it's got to be more than guesswork, speculation, or taking some talk from a diary and from kids uh, fooling around at age 15, 16, and turning that into an absolute homicidal maniac. As for what prosecutors call the confessions made at a drug rehab school that Skakel attended several years after the murder, Skakel's lawyer brought... This is all just background crap, okay? We're not interested in background crap. We want another goddamn verdict. When you guys get the verdict, then tell us. Quit filling time. Well, they're just... You know what they're doing? Filling time. Okay, we'll get back to that. Keep your eye peeled on that in case I'm in the middle of a, one of my very important stories here. Like this one okay. from, from the Herald. Priest faces fourth sex abuse claim. Oh! A fourth former altar boy accused suspended priest Richard Castellanos of sex abuse yesterday, charging in a lawsuit that Castellanos and another priest molested him at San Isidro Church in Pompano Beach in the late 80s. 
Kenneth Matthias, a 28-year-old Broward County man, said in the suit that he was abused by the two priests when he was 15 from 1988 to 89 after family problems sent him to the Catholic Church for guidance. Instead of help, oh yeah, they'll give you a helping hand, all right. Instead of help, according to the suit, Matthias found only violation of his trust, leaving him with emotional scars that later led him into drug abuse. He said he was molested by Castellanos numerous times during overnight stays at the priest's home, the suit said. It also detailed an episode of alleged abuse by another priest at the church whom he knew only as Father Arnolfo. The ex-altar boy's lawyer said late yesterday that his client has been arrested 11 times on mostly drug charges, has identified the other priest as Arnolfo Arnandia. A-R-A-N-D-I-A, Arandia. The lawyer said he plans to amend the lawsuit today. Church records show Arandia at San Isidro in 1988 and 89, and in 1991 at St. Rita's Church in Palm Beach County. The suit charges that the Archdiocese of Miami, which covers Monroe, Dayton, Broward counties, knew of prior abuse allegations against Castellanos, but did not remove him. Instead, church officials continued to hold Castellanos out as a Catholic priest who could be trusted with minor parishioners, the suit said. A spokesman for the Archdiocese said the church would not respond to the allegations because officials hadn't seen it yet in the suit either. Castellana's lawyer, Gable's attorney Gonzalo Dorta, said he could not comment about the suit because he hadn't seen it and generally said his client remained steadfast that those allegations are false and unfounded. Castellanos is known in South Florida as the charismatic host of the television show In the Word with Father Ricardo on Channel 45 in Miami. He's been pastor at San Isidro for 20 years. Isn't that one of your favorite shows? I watch it daily. Religiously. Castellanos 56 is already. Now, let me ask you before I continue with this, since I'm back here now and we have a little bit of technical, uh, you know, even though I wasn't on the air yesterday, it's a damn good thing we checked this all out and Miguel went in there and got on a Julio, so to speak. <laughs> Can't you see that? Can you see Miguel mounting <laughs> Julio? That. Yeah. Conjures up really an interesting image. But at any rate, uh, we got it all straightened out. How does it sound today? Sounds, I like Wonderful. the tone of it. Crispy, clear. And you sound like, you know, mumbly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was just thinking Stupid. like that. Castellano is 56 already. is being sued in two other sex abuse cases. been named in a complaint letter to the Archdiocese as an alleged abuser in the third case. The 56-year-old priest was suspended by the Archdiocese last month after two other former altar boys accused him of sexually abusing them in the 70s. For years, the Archdiocese knew of allegations of abuse made against this priest, and they didn't do anything other than launch their own internal investigation that cleared him, said the attorney Joel Magalnik, who is representing Matthias, along with attorney Jane Moskowitz. That's one of my favorite names in the world, Moskowitz and Lipschitz. According to the suit, Matthias became an altar boy at San Isidro in 1988 after his family moved to Florida from New York. The alleged abuse by Castellanos, the suit says, began with a priest requiring back rubs and processed, progressed rather, to overnight stays during which the boy would wake up to find the priest masturbating and fondling him. The abuse occurred as often as three times a week for up to seven weeks, Matias' lawyer said yesterday. Matias said in the suit that he never reported the allegations against Castellanos to anyone. The suit also detailed one episode of alleged abuse in December 1988 by the man Matias knew as Father Arnolfo. They were in a car alone after an Archdiocese-sponsored Christmas event in Miami. At a stoplight, Arnolfo reached over, unzipped Matias' pants, and began to fondle him, the suit said. Matias was in shock and unsure what to do, but the priest, seeing the boy's reaction, stopped fondling him, the suit said. The following morning, the priest allegedly gave Matias $300 to buy gifts for his relatives, telling him to remain silent because what happened was normal amongst Latin men, according to the suit. Well, what's wrong with that? <laughs> I'm going to read that sentence again. In fact, I'm going to read the previous sentence again, too. Because it goes to show you once again, just like this whole priest thing that I've been screaming about for 20 years, long before it became fashionable and before it became so widely realized to be true. 
At a stoplight, Arnolfo reached over, unzipped Matias's pants, and began to fondle him, the suit said. Matias was in shock and unsure what to do, but the priest, seeing the boy's reaction, stopped fondling him, the suit said. The following morning, the priest allegedly gave Matias $300 to buy gifts for his relatives, telling him to remain silent because what happened was normal amongst Latin men, according to the suit. Is that normal? Absolutely correct, sir. Among Latin men. An ex-altar boy said the suit that he reported the incident to a church official named Deacon Bernard, who assured Matias that the matter would be taken care of. The next day, Arnolfo was transferred out of the parish, the suit said. Matias' attorney said he's not yet obtained the full name of the deacon. Maybe it was Deacon Dolson. Oh, you didn't see that movie, did you? Which one? The one with Jack Lemmon? No. What the was the name of that movie? I can never think of the name of that. God, that was such a good movie. Also yesterday, the Archdiocese confirmed that another Broward priest, the Reverend Neil Doherty, has been placed on administrative leave from his church, St. Vincent's in Margate. Oi! An Archdiocese spokesman would not say whether there was a sexual abuse allegation against that priest. The Archdiocese issued a statement while conducting a review of our files. An accusation of an incident in excess of 20 years ago came to our attention. In accordance with our policy, Father Doherty was placed on administrative leave pending investigation. Doherty's attorney, Kristen A. West, said his absence was not related to pedophilia. Thank God. Oh, God. What was the name of that movie? Was it In the Name of the Father? No. It wasn't Priest? No. Okay. Priest? I don't know. Don't be pumping that movie, man. That, that's That's sacrilegious. And certainly almost entirely true. Anybody out there see priests? Yes. Yeah, they had their thumb on it. Judge refuses to reduce bail for Shanley. Here's some good news. Oh! A justice on the state's highest court denied a request yesterday from a retired priest charged with child rape that his $300,000 be reduced. They said, no. No, thanks. Reverend Paul Shanley claimed he was not a flight risk and was nearly broke, but Justice John Graney of the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court ruled that Shanley failed to demonstrate a clear error of law or an abuse of discretion on the part of the Superior Court which set the bail. Attorney Frank Madonna would not ask for a specific amount for Shanley. He told Graney in a hearing yesterday that Shanley was a candidate for release on personal recognizance. However, Middlesex County Prosecutor Lynn Rooney said Shanley had no remaining local ties to keep him in the area. She also cited past letters by Shanley suggesting he might leave the country. Last month, Shanley's bail was reduced from $750 to $300,000, but he remained unable to post bail. Shanley, who's publicly advocated sex between men and boys, is accused of raping a boy over a six-year period in the 1980s, including in a church confessional. Madonna said Shanley still had supporters who could raise some money for him. His niece, Teresa Shanley, criticized media coverage of Shanley's case after yesterday's hearing. The information that's been released in the media has been for the sole purpose of sensationalism, sound bites, and self-serving lawyerism, she said. This case should be tried in the courtroom, not in the press room. Earlier this week, a lawyer representing another man who claimed Shanley repeatedly raped him when he was a child made public nearly a 1,000 pages of the personnel files of 10 other accused priests. A judge ordered the Archdiocese to turn over the files in the civil case against Shanley. Attorney Rod McLee said the files show the Archdiocese had a pattern of transferring priests even after allegations of abuse, as we well know on his show. Do we know it? Uh -huh. You bet your sweet ass. 10.56 at 5.60 WQM. We got the mad dog from Hooters at 1. Now, is this other promo you're going to fax that or not? Oh, maybe it's... Like I faxed it. <laughs> I want to keep Miguel calm. Look for the QAM van today, 5 to 7. Miguel will be in that one, right? Yes. 5 to 7 at the Davy Ale House on the southeast corner of 595 and University Drive. Stop by for prizes and specials on Mike's Hard Lemonade. And speaking of hard, Miguel will be there. 5 to 7 today at the Davy Ale House. So you can go over and see the Mad Dog at Hooters and then go over to the Ale House. And then just, you know, what do you think you do after you go to both of those places? Pass out? Go to hell. 
1057 and 560 WQM, the weather's starting to get really smoldering, not just hot, but steamy. Summer storms and the possibility of hurricanes follow that action soon. You know that. They're predicting a lot of hurricanes this summer more than usual. Get prepared for a major storm and discover what thousands of smart people have done to protect their homes. Call All Weather Systems. All Weather Systems have been in business for over 15 years in town. They're a state-licensed FEMA project impact contractor. All Weather Systems carries the brand-new state-of-the-art shutterless impact-resistant windows and French doors. No unsightly or ugly shutters to ruin the look of your home and the convenience of not having to put up heavy plywood or storm panels, too. All Weather Systems offers 100% unsecured bank financing with no payments for 90 days and payments as low as only 69 bucks a month. Their impact-resistant windows and French doors have insulated glass that's going to save you a lot of energy, reduce outside noises, and the non-breakable glass helps keep out criminals and burglars, too. All Weather Systems also manufacture a full line of accordion-style shutters, electric roll-ups, and hurricane panels as well. So give All Weather Systems a call today. Save yourself the headache of putting up shutters, protect your family from storms and crime, too, and keep your house really looking beautiful and energy-efficient at the same time. Call All Weather Systems. Please tell them that Neil told you to call toll-free 1-800-728-5126. That's 1-800-728-5126. They provide home protection of the highest quality with service, reliability, and professionalism second to nobody, nowhere. Call them today. All Weather Systems, 1-800-728. The Neil Rogers Show on 560 WQAM, Miami, Fort Lauderdale. Howard David's Bitch. It's the new book that's shocking the country. After 20 years, Shaggy of Scooby-Doo speaks out, disclosing the behind-the-scenes antics that could bring down the whole cartoon industry. Like I tell you, like we weren't just solving mysteries in that mystery van, right, Scoob? Like we used to have a bumper sticker on the back that said, when this van's a-rockin', don't come a-knockin'. <laughs> like I gotta tell you, Velma and Daphne, lesbian city, carpet munchers, belly rubbin'. Yep, I know it's hard to believe. Scrappy Doo, like the only reason like he got his job, he was pimping for Daphne. Like how about Fred? Like how many guys do you know that wear a yellow scarf? Hey, hey. Like that's right. Scooby and I used to sit in the front of the mystery van and like do bong hits and like watch Velma and Daphne get it on. Like why do you think we ate so much? <laughs> it's the new book, Scrooby Dooby Doo. Like we would have got away with it had it not been for those damn kids. On bookshelves across the country everywhere. <laughs> it's 11.02 at 5.60 WQAM. So far, nothing's been found, but uh, by the way, there's... Oh, look at that. Michael Skakel convicted of murder. It is, it is a right. guilty verdict, then, for Michael Skakel. They had never anticipated this. From the very beginning, his lawyer has maintained his oh. innocence uh, to Michael Skakel, who... Truly said that all along he did not kill Martha Moxley. Uh, This has got to be a shattering blow. It means that he faces 25 years to life in prison. The Moxley family has always said this was not about vengeance, that this was about justice. They wanted the person who killed their 15-year-old, their beloved 15-year-old girl, brought to justice. She was brutally beaten to death with a golf club and then stabbed through the neck. Whether the jury considered that when determining whether there was intent, uh, that may be part of it. Okay, so they finally nailed a Kennedy, Michael Skakel, convicted of murder. Here's Dave Johnson, who's got other things on his mind, I'm sure. How are you doing, Dave? I'm fine. How are you, Neil? I'm doing sensational. It's a beautiful day in Toronto. The sun is shining. The pigeons are doing it right on my balcony. It's great. <laughs> when are you coming to um, to Belmont Park? I'll be there in about a half an hour <laughs> as, as the pigeon flies. Okay. So anyway, I uh, picked the winner. I'm sure George passed it along to you because, you know, finally, sooner or later, after all these years, I picked you the winner in the Prignus. Yes, and uh, you were you were dead right. I, um, I, I, I had the second horse. We had the exacta together. There you go. 
War emblem, man. I see. I hear people talking about Seattle Slough and the fact that both horses are black. Well, that's like saying that Mike Tyson is going to win tomorrow because uh, you know Joe Lewis was black too. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. I don't. I mean, War Emblem may run a gigantic race, and I'm going to pick him anyway. I'll tell you that right now. But he's no Seattle Slough. Well, you know, you never know how good they are until you, you get a little distance from them. I mean, uh, even Spectacular Bid, who who lost because he had a coquette uh, riding him as a teenage kid. You know. Are you picking on Ronnie Franklin again? Yes, I am. Good. Good. But but, but yeah, I didn't realize how good Seattle, I mean, uh, spectacular bid was until like, you know, Shoemaker started to ride him, and then you saw what kind of an animal he was. So yeah, he was I think great. you have to get a, way, uh, a little distance between, uh, um, you know, the, the actual event of the Belmont, and then see what he does uh, in the Belmont and, and afterward. And not only that, but you know, people forget. I think uh, didn't the Secretary only race against four horses in the uh, uh, Belmont? Probably, yeah, there were very, very small fields. I think there was a field of five or six. Mike Gallant uh, and uh, a Bob Horse and uh, and Sham. Yeah, I think it was only five or six. He's going to have. There's going to be eleven in the field tomorrow. Eleven? Yeah. You mean eleven plus War Emblem, or somebody gets no, scratched? No, uh, Puzzlement got scratched. Puzzlement got scratched. You heard it first right here. So Puzzlement, who was like thirty to one in the morning line, uh, had no chance anyway. He's out. Yeah, he uh, he bruised a foot. Uh, so um, he will not be competing in the Belmont, but he's a good horse. He'll, he'll be later, but he won't uh, he won't have a chance in the Belmont. He's out of it. Now he was in a seven hole. He was inside of War Emblem, so that means War Emblem moves in one spot. He'll Everybody be in the nine moves hole now. up one, right? Right. So a uh, field of eleven. There, you know, there's a couple horses that don't belong in there, but it, but there's a good, uh, about four or five horses. I wouldn't be surprised to see like uh, Perfect Drift or Proud Citizen, who was second in the Derby and third in the Preakness. I mean, you know, they have every right to come back. But I haven't told you my pick yet. Okay, well, you will in a second. The horse that I hear everybody talking about is Sunday Break. Bingo! You know... I love him. Oh, that's the one you're picking? Yeah. Sunday Break with Gary Stevens, the old Risedale's horse who won. Uh, what... Now, what race was it that he won? Well, he won a race called the Peter Pan, and I went out to the track. I wanted to see him in person, and uh, he's really grown up. He's matured since he raced in March and April in New York, and he grew a winter coat. He, he, he really uh, he was affected by the cold weather, but he's now mature. He's he, he's grown. He's uh, very very powerful. I think he's the horse to beat. Okay, so in other words, you're you're picking the upset, and you know me every year for how many years now? For 24 years, for the you last hundred years, every I've, year we've been trying. No, it's not just a question of the favor. We try to get a triple crown winner because I think this sport, which is really in a big trouble, desperately needs a triple crown winner, needs a champion. And unlike harness racing, where the times keep getting better and you keep getting champions every year or two. Uh, Thurbert Racing's really had a mediocre bunch for years now. Neil, I think you're right, though. Um, you know, this is a horse that could do it. And, uh, I mean, how long have we been talking? 20 years, I guess. About 100 this, this, years, I think. really is, is the horse that could. Uh, and I'll be happy if, uh, if War Emblem wins it. This, this will be good for, this, for the game. And I like Bob Baffert. Yeah, we like Bob Baffert because he swore on the ear on ABC a few years ago. Remember that? <laughs> yes. He, he actually blurted out. I don't remember what the word is, and of course we don't want to use it here anyway, unless we have to. But uh, you know, he's he's just our kind of guy. He's kind of a uh, likable guy, yeah. and he's been so close to the triple crown twice. He just got beat with uh, was it uh, real quiet? Real quiet and um, uh, silver charm. Silver charm got beat. Well, real quiet though. Just got uh, nose down. And then of course they said that he got Sorma moved him too soon in the stretch and all of that other baloney. And you know who beat him up by a nose, don't you? No, I don't. Gary Stevens, who rides. Gary Stevens, who's riding Sunday break tomorrow. There you go. That's right. Well, Victor Espinosa is going to win on War Emblem tomorrow. I think uh, basically you got a mediocre field here. That's another thing you have to look at. Not only is the horse really great, but who's he racing against? I just don't think it's that much of a good field. But, uh, 
No, you're you're right. It's not the quality field that, that we've seen uh, in other years. But there's a there's a ten of them against a war emblem. So that makes for a tough tough uh, thing to win this series. Well. I think we need a champion, and, and you know something? You made a good point in the beginning, and that is until they really uh, finish the Triple Crown and then start running in the other races later in the year in the fall races, you don't really know how good these horses are. Yeah, um, I mean, Secretariat, you know, that was that was an unbelievable performance. He was great at age two and, and terrific at age three, but, um, you know, Seattle Slough really proved himself after the Belmont and, uh, you know, a, a, in the breeding shed. He's, he's probably the best sire that we've had. Now, War Emblem doesn't have to have the lead because they keep saying that Wiseman's Ferry is going to go out and set a, uh, you know, a, a pretty good pace. Uh, he, he can sit uh, close to the pace, just like he did in the Preakness. He doesn't have to be on the lead. I'm thinking of Seattle Slough. I'm trying to remember if he ever ran from off the pace or did he always run on the lead? He ran close. He ran on the lead or, or close to it all the time. You know, I don't remember Seattle Slough's Belmont. very. I, I, I saw it, but I didn't call it. But I remember Seattle Slough's first race as a two-year-old. He went off at about five or six to one. And he was covered up. I mean, nobody nobody knew about him except the stable. And uh, after he won his first race, he just destroyed a field of two-year-olds at Belmont Park. I mean, we all looked at ourselves in a press box and said, what have we just seen? Mm -hmm. And he turned out to be the only undefeated Triple Crown winner we've ever had. One of the things I remember about Seattle Slough is that John Kruger, who had plenty of critics back at that time, in fact, it was the Belmont. That's, I don't remember the actual race itself either, but I do remember they said he'll win the Triple Crown unless the Frenchman falls off, meaning Jean <laughs> Kruger, the jockey. And if, I'm sure you'll recall, as they approached the wire, he saluted the crowd. He kind of stood up in the uh, saddle, and he saluted the crowd, yeah. and everybody kind of held their breath like, oh, geez, you haven't reached the line yet, John. Don't fall off. He, uh, he had a lot of critics. Did uh, ride this horse though to win the Triple Crown? So John's in the in the in the record book. But soon after the Triple Crown, Angel Cordero got the right. Vote. That's right. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I picked the proud citizen in the both the Derby and the Preakness. I finished second. I finished third. I'm getting off of them. You know what happens then, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. So, Dwayne Lucas, beware. Beware. When you least expect it. <laughs> okay, you're picking Sunday Break. I'm, I'm picking, picking War Emblem. So there's the exacter for the audience. Neil, that's it. I'm going to bet it. Okay. Okay. No more than 500. Okay. Okay, Dave, say hi we to Hank. Give him a big kiss for us. Loan me 400. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you'll find Larry down there by the finish line. He might be hanging around. Okay, uh, Dave, I'll take care. Hank, I'll thank Hank Goldberg to loan me the money. No problem. He's uh, got it. Trust me. He's got the, in fact, you'll see the mothballs fly out of his wallet. Take care of yourself. You Neil. too, Dave. Take care. Bye. Okay, there's Dave Johnson, caller of the uh, Triple Crown for the last 600 years. War Emblem, Triple Crown, that's what I'm picking. And not, not that enthusiastically. What does uh, George pick? Pick War Emblem. Well, I was going to pick Sunday Break because I heard Hank touting him on the morning show. In so, other words, you're going to pick what Hank is picking? Well, he knows himself, <laughs> right? <laughs> but since uh, Dave already picked that, I'm going to uh, pick up Proud Citizen since he abandoned him. Proud Citizen. Okay, there you go. The Lucas horse for George. Twelve minutes past eleven at five sixty WQAM. So uh, Michael Skakel found guilty. He's going to be serving twenty-five years to life. All right. Why should I be so enthusiastic about that? And you want to know why? Because we've seen so many other people in that family get away with so much crap. Right. Even though I love Ted Kennedy as a senator, but of course, you know, he just has had a little <laughs> problem over the years. And not to mention, of course, William Kennedy Smith. Not to mention. Because it feels good when justice happens. That's why you're ecstatic. Yeah. That's right, and this time for justice, we didn't have to go see you-know-who. Hey, summertime's here, baby. It's 172 degrees in the shade. You could fry eggs on the sidewalk in South Florida. 
But Oleomed is a product that will make you feel your best and keep you in great health in town. Oleomed is a soft gel capsule that contains pharmaceutical-grade olive oil along with vitamins and minerals and herbals to promote health for your prostate. they got a separate product for your heart. There's one for your blood pressure and your cholesterol. Oleomed's also got supplements to promote health in your circulatory system, your digestive, your endocrine system, your skin and bones, even your mind, all using the benefits of the best olive oil that money can buy. And don't forget, Oleomed's got products for men and for you ladies out there in the audience, even the real ladies, too. Oleomed's available at Walgreens. Stop by and see Marcy and say, hey, honey, where's the uh, Oleomed? They got it at Whole Food Markets, Navarro Pharmacy, and Sedano's as well. If you want to find out more information about how their products are, what's in them, and what they do for you, just call them up at their toll-free number, and they'll discuss it with you. They'll give you all the answers. Call 1-866-OLEOMED. That's 1-866-O-L-E-O-M-E-D. And don't forget, you can order their products right off their website directly at Oleomed America. Real ride. Hank Goldberg. Weekdays at 3 on Sports Radio 560 QAM. Will Chamberlain rate me? Are you tired of high cereal prices? Sick of paying big bucks for your breakfast? Well, wake up to the future with new budget cereals like Frosted Flake or Lucky Charm. And they're priced as low as $3.49 a box. And don't forget that nutritional favorite, Grape Nut. Buy some today. 1116 at 5, ah, 60 WQM. Mass Appeal, thank you very much. The name of the Jack Lemmon movie about the priest. Charles Durning was in that also. You know Charles Durning from uh, When a Stranger Calls? Sure Big fat Charles Durning, great actor. Now that spot that we just had for the Panthers on there, I don't want to be a nitpicker, but I've been a hockey fan for 44 years. Can anybody out there tell me what a backside goal is? No. Christian Hoselia scores a great backside goal. I've heard of a backhand shot and the short side, and the, even George has heard of the far side. Yeah. Well, what, what is a backside goal? Rectum. <laughs> That's what comes to my mind. Yeah. I don't get it. A backside goal. Those Panther promos, just the whole, well, I don't want to go into it. So far, nothing's been found, but police in Truckee, California, are continuing to dig up the yard of the vacation home of Stephen Kiesel, and uh, yesterday said they plan to bring, uh, bring in a backhoe to pick up the pace. CBS station KPIX reports that Kiesel is a former priest from Fremont, California, who was arrested last month on charges of sexually abusing three children in the 1970s when he was assigned to St. Paul of Par Santa Para Polish. Parish. What did I just say? Polish. Pa well, maybe he was, uh, wanted to polish him off. Santa Paula Parish. Say that a hundred times real fast. Come on. Santa Paula Parish. Say it. Santa Paula Parish. Police are checking for any possible links between Kiesel and the 1988 disappearance of seven-year-old Amber Swartz, not Schwartz, Swartz, who lived on the same street as Kiesel at the time of her disappearance from Pinol, California. Hmm? P-I-N-O-L-E. Oh. Or is that pie hole? Swartz, the daughter of a Pinol police officer, was killed on a job in 1980, was last seen jumping rope in front of her family's house. Her case got national publicity and led to the establishment of the Amber Foundation for Missing Children, better known to Internet users as MissingChild.org, which works to help find missing children and lobbies for legislation affecting abduction cases. Amber's Missing Child poster with a $50,000 reward remains on the website today, along with photos showing how she might look if she were still alive. Kiesel is currently free on $180,000 bail after pleading not guilty to last month's child molestation charges. Police say they got a warrant to search his vacation property after dogs trained to detect human remains keyed in on several spots outside the house. We've had tens of thousands of leads on this case, and we've had several cadaver dog hits, and thus far they haven't resulted in any human remains being found, said Penal Police Commander John Minor. 
The alleged victims in the unrelated child molestation charges that Kiesel now faces range in age from 9 to 13 years old. Authorities are also investigating allegations that Kiesel might have abused 10 other children in the 70s. Kiesel was defrocked in 1978 after he was charged with tying up two boys and molesting them. He was also arrested on molest charges in 1981 in Union City, California. The parish where Kiesel served in the 1970s is no longer in existence. Another priest who was also at Santa Paula Parish, Reverend Robert Fritas, was arrested in April on a charge of sexually abusing a 15-year-old boy in 1979 when he was associate pastor. Fritas was arrested after meeting with his alleged victim who wore a hidden device that recorded what police describe as a confession. The alleged victim, now 38 years old, said he decided to come forward when he moved back to his hometown and saw that Fritas was still an active priest. Local Catholic Church officials say they called police as soon as they were made aware of the allegation. Well, good for them. Doesn't that make you feel better? Much. Here's how our polls coming now on what you smoke. What do you smoke? I don't smoke anything 97. Pot, 50. Cigarettes and pot, 34. I used to smoke cigarettes, but I quit, 33. Cigars, 26. Cigars and pot, 22. I used to smoke pot, but I quit, 18. Cigarettes, 10. And I used to smoke cigars, but I quit, 4. See, there was only one with a cigar. But as soon as I said people don't quit smoking cigars, right away we got four now instead of one. See the way they work? I know. They work in mysterious ways, this crowd. Harvard speech gets polite reception. I never got a chance to talk about this because it happened, I guess, either over the weekend or while I was in transit. How come I never had a chance? Oh, that's right, because that happened when I was out sick, this story. And you were on, of course, you were busy talking about sex again. Because you're stupid, obsessed. Harvard speech gets polite reception. A Harvard University commencement. Didn't you, uh, weren't you aware of this story? The kid that would want to do the thing called jihad and explain what jihad meant? I, I saw it briefly on the news, but I wasn't paying close attention. Well, guess what? The world didn't come to an end. A Harvard University commitment speech that offended some students with the use of the term jihad received a polite reception yesterday with some students standing to applaud. Zayed Yassin, an American Muslim selected as a student speaker for the ceremony, and by the way, not a very bad-looking kid, had titled his speech of faith and citizenship, my American jihad, but dropped the second phrase after some students said the speech should explicitly condemn terrorist violence. The content of the speech was not changed. In Arabic, jihad means struggle, but of course, as we know all too well, it's also a term for holy war. The speech focused on a struggle for personal growth and for wider peace and justice. It condemned Muslims and non-Muslims who've abused the word. During a rainy 351st Harvard commencement in Harvard Yard, Harvard Yard, a couple of protesters could be seen, but dozens of people in the audience gave Yassin a standing ovation. No relation to the hockey player, by the way, Alexei Yashin. Let's hear it for him. Winona Ryder ordered to stand trial finally. I mean, this has just got to be like a comedy act that's going on. This thing with her uh, elbow, the, uh-huh. supposedly the one she broke last yeah. year, too. Even though she got hit on the wrong side. <laughs> oh! Vinny, the, uh, what, the guy called in yesterday, tell us the name of that mob guy. Vinny, the uh, cheek. The chin. The chin. Well, I was close. Vinny, the chin. They used to wander around in uh, Brooklyn, I think it was, in his bathroom late at night. Like, like that. Like it was kind of like Greg Reed. And then they finally got onto him. A judge ordered actress Winona Ryder yesterday to stand trial on three counts of shoplifting, vandalism, and drug charges. And arraignment is set uh, for today. And, of course, it's only 8.22 in the morning out there, so it ain't happening yet. By the way, Michael Skakel was found guilty of murder in case you just tuned in late. Michael Skakel of the Kennedy clan. Anyway, the much-delayed preliminary hearing finally got underway in earnest earlier in the day yesterday. Ryder wearing a black dress had her right arm in a sling. The result of an elbow fracture she received Monday in a fracas outside the courthouse. There's nothing worse than a fracas outside the courthouse. 
In the incident, Ryder was clipped by a camera as reporters and camera crews jostled trying to take pictures of her as she came back into the courthouse during a recess. Monday's postponement was the fourth postponement for the hearing. Thursday's proceedings were halted for a few minutes after the actress complained of pain in her arm. <laughs> God! Ryder was arrested last December 12th outside Saks Fifth Avenue in Beverly Hills. The Oscar-nominated actress faces one count each of grand theft, commercial burglary, vandalism, and possession of a controlled substance, oxycodone, a painkiller. Police say she shoplifted numerous women's hair accessories, handbags, and various items of women's clothing. Ryder has pleaded not guilty to all four counts. Her attorney, the obnoxiously disgusting, the mustachioed, the TV whore, Mark Garagos, produced a sales receipt for almost four grand that he implies proves Ryder actually paid for the allegedly stolen merchandise. A SAC security official, Kenneth Evans, testified the receipt was just for one pair of Gucci shoes that Ryder purchased, not for the items that she's accused of stealing. Four grand for a pair of shoes. How do you like that? Then they make you want to barf? Huh? Four grand for a pair of shoes. Jesus Christ. A considerable amount of testimony from Evans was about the video surveillance techniques he used to monitor the actress as she moved around the store. What? What was that? What was what? That noise. That wasn't you? No. I don't know. That whomping sound. Maybe it was an act of... Jesus Christ. Oh, you know what it was? What? Wait. It's on at the disc. Oh. Which makes it kind of fun. You can listen for it now. Evans also testified that his staff recovered several security tags from a dressing room used by Ryder. He said the tags appear to have been cut off from the merchandise rather than removed by equipment that the store uses when a sale is made. You know how they have those things? Yes, they do. What do you call those things? The uh, tag taker offer? Electro, yeah, whatever. Yeah, the electric tag taker offer remover. So they get those uh, security things off the merchandise, so they got some pretty good idea that maybe somebody paid for it. Evans said at one point that when he first saw Ryder on the video surveillance cameras, he thought she was a homeless person because she was carrying so many shopping bags. That prompted Garagos to ask how many homeless people Saks gets wearing three-quarter-length cashmere coats. <laughs> In that neighborhood? I, I love it. Gotta like it. Real uh, sense of humor she's got. And Dion Warwick, you see, uh, this also happened yesterday. She got like a little slap on her wrist. Yeah. And don't do it again. Very, very sad. Of course, if you get caught with a pin joint, I guarantee you, 20 years, no questions asked, they'll just throw the key away. Make no mistake about it, especially George. In fact, I can think of some good character witnesses for you right now. Stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> July 19th sentencing set for Michael Skakel. July 19th. Oh, that's a long ways away. I'll be in Amsterdam by then. Don't forget, look for the QM van today, 5 to 7 at the Davy Ale House on the southeast corner of 595 and University Drive. Stop by for prizes and specials on Mike's Hard Lemonade. That's 5 to 7 today at the Davy Ale House, and Miguel will be there to show you what hard really means. And this afternoon between 1 and 3, join the Mad Dog for a live broadcast ah! at Hooters and Pember Pines on Pines Boulevard and University Drive 1 to 3. QM Prize Patrol will be there without Miguel. Who's going to be driving the uh, van? Doreen. Doreen's going to be there? Oh, are you serious? Yeah, it's only me and her in the promotions department. Doreen is going to be there. That That is worth the price of admission, okay? Go over there, even if it's only to stand there and stare at that bitch. The QM Prize Patrol will be there with the Doreen and all kinds of mediocre giveaways. Maybe they'll be giving her away. Any takers? Huh? No. I doubt it. And you can register to win dinner for two with Florida Marlins outfield of Kevin Millar. There you go. An offer you can't refuse. Two big appearances this afternoon. Doreen's appearing with Mandage, and uh, Miguel's appearing with somebody. 
26 after 11 at 560 WQAM. If your mattress appears to be on the way out, if your back just doesn't feel good when you get up in the morning, probably means time to get rid of the mattress and get you a great brand new one. That gives you some support. That gives you a great night's sleep night after night. If you don't get a good night's sleep, life isn't worth a crap. So call my good friends at Dial-A-Mattress. You'll be instantly connected when you call 1-800-MATTRESS to an expert bedding consultant whose only job is to get you the best brand-name mattress, unlike in those department stores where one day they're in the lamp department, the next day they're in the, like, uh, dildo department, whatever. They are the experts in mattresses at Dial-A-Mattress because that's all they sell. And they got all the top brands, Serta, Sealy, Simmons, and King Coil. And when you call them at that toll-free number, 1-800-MATTRESS, you... Pick the day in the two-hour window for your delivery, any day, seven days a week, when it's convenient for you, instead of sitting around on your can all day waiting for somebody, hopefully, to show up. And also, when you buy your mattress from Dial a Mattress, at unbeatable prices, I should point out, you get a 30-day in-home comfort guarantee, so you can test your mattress the only intelligent way, by sleeping on it, by putting your fat ass on it and doing your thing. So call Dial a Mattress right now. You'll be sleeping like a baby tonight. Call 1-800-MATTRESS, 1-800-M-A-T-T-R-E-S. Please tell them that Neil told you to call or check them out on the web. Weeknights at 10 on Sports Radio 560 QAM. Yank it, baby. By the way, that's Adam Turan responsible for that spot being on the show. I'm going to break your neck next time I'm there, Adam. No wonder he was in there very briefly. You notice what a brief appearance he made, Adam? That's a promise, by the way. It's a promise. When I make a promise, I keep her. You know what I'm saying? Here we always thought that Adam was the one saying by the one good guy we were wrong. I smoke two joints in the morning. I smoke two joints at night. All right. I smoke two joints in the afternoon. It makes me feel all right. Yes. I smoke two joints in time of peace and two in time of war. I smoke two joints before I smoke two joints. Oh! And then I smoke two more.
Four five sixty WQM. You know, when you look at our poll result, three hundred and twenty-two votes, and you add up the people that smoke, not just pot, because that's like uh, fifty-six, which is seventeen point three percent, but the ones that smoke cigarette and pot, yeah, and cigars and cigar and pot. Since yeah. I did the uh, singular, oh, you got thirty-five percent. Thirty-five percent are puffing on the uh, wacky illegal weed in the USA, and are probably going to go to jail if anybody finds out and they trace these goddamn votes. I thought it was going to be cigarettes on this thing. What do you mean by that? More people smoking cigarettes than anything only 4%, else. Only 4%, only 13, although cigarettes and pot is uh, 35, so you got about 25%. But 35% are smoking pot either all by its lonesome or with an occasional uh, stogie thrown in there or occasional a faggot and a, cig- a cigarette, too. Pretty amazing. And yet, not only is the country resisting coming out of the Stone Age with its pot laws, but also is muscling our friends up here in uh, Canada who are on the verge, who are right on the edge of decriminalizing completely, just like uh, they're doing in all of Western Europe, pretty much, in the civilized countries where they don't want to put all their people in jail. And they're threatening the Canadian government by saying, oh, boy, don't do that, because then they'll be shipping all that wacky weed down here across the border and smuggling it into Niagara Falls. And people will be jumping right over the goddamn falls. God, this it's makes you want to cry. just makes you want to cry. Here's a uh, great article. Thank you for faxing this to me, by the way, one of our... Uh, faxers out there in the audience. Paul Krugman writes in today's New York Times, Evils of Access. This also makes you want to cry. See, I don't, I don't read these articles to depress anybody like the thing from Newsweek, just so that you know. You know, I mean, then you can go on with your life and not let it overwhelm you, or you can just go commit suicide, one or the other. But just so that we have some idea of what's going on. It's not a pretty picture. Paul Krugman writes, as Senate investigators examine evidence on the administration's Enron contracts, the White House counsel, Alberto Gonzalez, has already delivered the verdict. Everything's fine because officials did nothing to help Enron as it was collapsing. Oh, we're fine. I believe him. I also believe that the administration played no role in the death of Elvis. An equally relevant assertion. Mr. Gonzalez is pulling the same trick on energy policy that Dick Cheney has pulled on anti-terrorist policy, respond to real serious questions about the administration's actions by self-righteously denying charges that nobody's actually making. Nobody has accused the White House of helping Enron when it was down, just as no Democratic leader has accused the administration of deliberately allowing 9-11 to happen. The real questions in both cases are whether the administration failed to act against real threats because it was preoccupied with a preconceived agenda why officials who manifestly got it wrong have not been held accountable, and whether because nobody's been held accountable, the administration is continuing to make the same mistakes. I know that I'm about to get a barrage of mail saying that energy policy and terrorism are not comparable, but bear with me for a minute. In the case of energy policy, the administration still won't release information about Dick Cheney's energy task force, but it's clear that energy companies and only energy companies had access to top officials. The result was that during the California power crisis, which it is increasingly apparent was largely engineered by Enron and other companies that had the administration's ear, the administration did nothing. 
But just as John Ashcroft, who brushed aside appeals to make terrorism a priority, remains in charge of our effort against terrorism, Mr. Cheney, who ridiculed conservation and price controls, which in the end were what saved California, remains in charge of energy policy, and that scares me more than terrorism. Earlier this week, the EPA released a report confirming what the vast majority of climatologists and every other advanced country government had already concluded. Human activity is causing global warming, and the consequences will be nasty. But the EPA did not propose any preventative action. Instead, it talked only about adapting to the changes. Old hands recall the days of James Watt, the Interior Secretary back in the 80s, when scientists discovered that industrial chemicals were depleting the Earth's protective ozone layer. Mr. Watt suggested that people wear hats, sunscreen, and dark glasses. Luckily for the plan, he was overruled. The U.S. joined other countries in curbing production of ozone-depleting chemicals. The ozone hole is still growing, but disaster has at least been postponed. No such happy outcome seems likely on global warming. After a curious pause, George W. Bush rejected his own administration's analysis. I read the report put out by the bureaucrats, he sneered. Clearly, this was a replay of what happened early last year when the EPA's Christy Whitman assured the public that Mr. Bush would honor his pledge to control carbon dioxide emissions only to be betrayed when the coal and oil industries waited on the subject. So the administration learned nothing from the California crisis. It still takes its advice from the energy companies that financed its campaigns and made many administration officials, including Mr. Bush and Mr. Cheney, rich. And it's one thing to reward your friends with subsidies and tax regulation. It's something quite different to let them dictate policy on climate change. Many people believe that the Bush administration had a special window of opportunity on global warming policies. Politically, it could have been a Nixon-goes-to-China moment. Mr. Bush could have passed legislation that would have been totally out of reach for a Democrat. Furthermore, many corporations were actually eager for guidelines that would allow them to make long-term plans. But because the administration continues to listen only to the usual suspects, that window of opportunity is closing fast. And bear this in mind, whatever he imagines, Osama bin Laden can't destroy Western civilization. Carbon dioxide can. Writes Paul Krugman in today's New York Times, and he is... Oh! Absolutely correct, sir. <clears throat> so like I said, don't get depressed about it, just get pissed off, you know? Yeah. And you, Huh? Well, look Aren't on the bright pissed side. Off? Pissed off gets me fired up when I hear someone say that. I beg your pardon? I said, look on the bright side. Michael Skakel got convicted. Yeah, let's hear Michael Skakel got convicted. Oh! Convicted. Oh, there's his mother. The first thing I did was say a prayer. Well, it didn't work too good, honey. 20 till noon at 560 WQM. Hey, all you deli lovers out there, you people love your corned beef and your pastrami and your kishka or kishki. Is it kishka or kishki, George, in your family? Kishki. Here's a great deli, man. It's a well-kept secret by some, but more and more people are finding out about the original Brothers Restaurant. Real New York deli-style food and service at its best. The original Brothers has been piling on the corned beef, pastrami, and scrumptious brisket on thousands of sandwiches since 1976. Matzo ball soup, great kishki. The Rover stuff, I sure hope they have Kishke. Did they bring you food yet or what? Who? The original Brothers Restaurant. No, they have not. Don't you remember Scaran said they wanted to bring in food? And I said, sure, George and Miguel eat it. That was the end of that. Oh, that's because I'm not there now. The Rover stuff sandwich is so big that two hands just can't even hold it. They got the best homemade soups and salads, homemade chopped liver. Their hand-sliced Nova is so good, it'll remind you of the Lower East Side of, like, Havana. Brothers can even cater your next holiday or family gathering, a full bakery and takeout department as well. So when you think of deli, you want a fantastic deli a feast. Think of Brothers. The original Brothers restaurant, you can eat in, take it out, catering and corporate functions available as well. Visit your Brothers at 1325 South Powerline Road or call them at 954-968-5881 and tell them that screw and sent you by. 954-968-5881 for the original Brothers. Challenge. 
The Joe and Mark Show. Overnights on Sports Radio right. 560. QAM. Neil Rogers. God. From Elizabeth Taylor, the woman who first brought you the fragrance, White Diamonds. I'm back with the scent you'll remember for hours. Elizabeth Taylor presents White Castle. The essence of meats and onions and pickles. It's a sack of scent you'll never forget. Elizabeth Taylor's White Castle. All my men love White Castle under the sheets. A fragrance that lingers on and on and on, maybe longer than you'd like. Elizabeth Taylor's White Castle. Live White Castle. Love White Castle. Eat White Castle. Wear White Castle. From Elizabeth Taylor in six ounce bottles or by the sack. 1144 at 560. So anyway, that was Dorothy, uh, Dorothy Moxley. It's Martha Moxley's mother. The one that said she prayed. Yeah. But I didn't, well, I didn't let her finish it because I didn't have time. She said she prayed for like this to happen. In other words, for Skakel to get convicted. And he got convicted. Oh! So there you go. And also they got John on who is Martha Moxley's brother. And they're pretty, uh, you know, pretty upbeat now, you know. I mean, as upbeat as they can be under the circumstances. Because Martha's still dead, you know. Yeah. See, it's an old story. The audience can't get all that excited about it, even though it's a Kennedy. And not only that, it's not like one of the, he's like a distant relative. What is he? He's like Ethel's uh, nephew. Second cousin, twice removed. Yeah, kissing cousin, something like that. But once in a while, you got to get somebody convicted that the public doesn't like. And in addition to which, he's such a frumpy, nasty, uh, chubby, pouchy, paunchy looking guy, you know. I mean, if he was a good-looking young guy, we wouldn't want to see him get convicted, would we? No. Even the, uh, no. That's right. Even the heterosexual guys out. Oh, and speaking of that, a gay league of their own, writes the Globe. Baseball rocked by switch-hitting scandal. And, and you're never going to guess, I'll give you a clue, who's quoted at length in this uh, article. I'll give you a clue. I like that one. <laughs> really? Yeah. The Crow. Major League Baseball is about to be rocked by a gigantic gay scandal triggered by the explosive revelation that at least half a dozen current players are homosexuals. Half a dozen, right. While millions of fans would be shocked to learn the true sexual preference of their favorite diamond stars, the existence of homosexual players is well known inside the gay world. Inside the gay world. <laughs> well, you knew that was coming, didn't you? I couldn't resist. I know of at least six major league ballplayers who are gay, says a leading commentator on homosexual culture. Fans as well as their teammates would be stunned because these guys are good-looking, macho-type athletes. Two play on the West Coast and two more play in New York. And believe me, they're not alone. These are gay. There are gay men hiding all over baseball, but they're just too afraid to come out. And while the vast majority of the 750 major league players are straight, so it says here, at least a couple of them, Experts believe a gay scandal could devastate the mega-billion-dollar business. Baseball drew more than $75 million playing, uh, uh, I'm sorry, more than $75 million paying fans to the big league parks last year, with 39 million homes tuning in to watch the Arizona Diamondbacks upset the Yankees in Game 7 of the World Series last year. Thank God. All this talk has given the phrase, boys of summer, a new meaning, says a baseball insider. Let's face it, a lot of parents would stop taking their children out to the ball game if they knew some of the players on the field were gay. It would be absolutely devastating to the image of the game. Do you believe that? That parents would stop taking their kids to the game if they knew some of the players were gay. Well, we were that? discussing that during the uh, Joe and George, uh, Joe and George show, whatever it was, and uh, a lot of people said yes, and a lot of people couldn't believe it. Said yes, what? 
that parents would stop taking their kids and people would stop going if they found out that their favorite ball player. That's a pile of crap. See that? That's the that's the whole point. That's the whole point of why these people need to come out or be dragged out or something is because then uh, people stop assuming that just because the guy's in some limp-wristed fag right. like uh, Jim J. Bullock that he isn't. Uh, you know, they just don't want to. They don't want to get it. I can see why a leading man kind of actor would be afraid to come out. You mean like Tom Cruise? Because Somebody it would like ruin that, his right. image in the movies. That's right, because right, his whole image is about being a great womanizer, right? What difference does it make if they still run as fast? They still hit. Yeah, but they're taking showers naked with the other guys, oh, not to mention, oh. and I'll guarantee you they wouldn't get as nearly as many pats on the Rectum. ass as they've been getting lately. The first explosive hint of the coming scandal blew when New York Post columnist Neil Travis reported that a star player was about to come out of the closet. One Met star who spends a lot of time with pretty models in clubs is actually gay and has started to think about declaring his sexual orientation, Travis wrote. His column kicked off a slew of rumors about the identity of the player forced of the Mets' biggest star, Mike Piazza, to swiftly deny he was the guy. Piazza called a press conference to extinguish smoldering gay rumors. I'm not gay, declares Piazza. I'm heterosexual. You buying it? No. You believe it? No. I can not I can say I'm heterosexual. I date women. I don't see a need to address it any further, said Piazza. Piazza isn't the only player to face the gay issue. Hunky New York Yankees shortstop Derek Jeter. Hunky? Looks like he came from outer space. Does Miguel agree? Derek Jeter looks like he's from outer space. Out of this world. You know, he's a strange-looking guy. He's bizarre. Anyway, <clears throat> hunky New York Yankees shortstop Derek Jeter, who once dressed as a woman for a Saturday Night Live gig, also has been the target of false gay rumors during his spectacular eight-year career. You notice they keep putting the word false in there just to cover their ass? Yes, Despite being romantically linked to famous beauties like singers, wait till you hear this, you're going to fall on your ass. <laughs> Mariah Carey <laughs> and Joy Enriquez, as well as Miss Universe Lara Dutta. Mariah Carey, <laughs> who also was hot and heavy with Luis Miguel. <laughs> yeah. Piazza's teammate, Roberto Alomar, once engaged to blonde tennis star Murray Pierce, also was hit with false gay rumors after he made national news by spitting an umpire John Hirschbeck. One report, strongly denied by baseball officials, said the second baseman became enraged after Hirschbeck called him a derogatory name for homosexuals. And, of course, I think most of us were aware at the time. That had to be what he said when he, like, <laughs> spit in Hirschbeck's face. And everybody became so indignant just because Hirschbeck probably said, get out of here, you faggot. Oh. Yeah, that, I'm, I'm almost positive that's what he said. Or maybe it was like, that damn faggot, I can't stand him. Yeah, something like that. And, of course, when he said it in that tone of voice... False gay innuendos also singled out Brady Anderson, who once slugged 50 home runs in a season for the Orioles. There are so many rumors about him, says former Major League umpire Dave Pallone, who came out of the closet after ending his 18-year career of calling balls and strikes. But an Orioles spokesperson insists that Anderson is strictly a ladies' man. Right. A spokesman. What, what do they expect these people to say? Can you imagine? Call up the Orioles uh, publicity office, the public relations office, and say, hey, is Brady Anderson a fact? Oh, yeah. He takes it up the rectum. Meanwhile, New York Mets manager Bobby Valentine recently sparked a firestorm of controversy when he said baseball was probably ready for an openly gay player. And Valentine's boss, Mets general manager Steve Phillips, poured fuel on the fire when he added, there probably is somebody in every clubhouse who's gay. Warren Cromarty. All right, this is the national exposure for the crow. This is the best news I've heard in a hell of a long time. How about... Yub M Mib Trom Mib the Blob. That's the guy. Okay, but Warren Cromarty, a radio talk show host in Florida, and boy, that's really stretching the term. And former player with the Montreal Expos and Kansas City Royals tells the Globe that many top players have been dogged by gay rumors over the years. 
I've heard the rumors about Jeter, Piazza, Alomar, and Anderson, he says, but I've seen those guys out with hot models, too. Even back when I was playing ball, there were rumors about certain players. They included all-stars and guys who were hanging out at the end of the bench. So far, only two major leaguers have stepped up to the plate and declared their homosexuality, but they did it, of course, after retiring. Got the big old red blowers in there. Center fielder Billy Bean kept it a secret till his six-year career with the Tigers, Los Angeles Dodgers, and San Diego Padres ended. Bean now tells Globe that their current uh, gay major leaguers are choosing to keep their sexual identities uh, hidden. Severe wristes. Yeah, maybe they got, like, limp wristes. You think that could be part of their problem? I think that might be. That might just be. And, of course, don't forget. If you blow too much, you're in trouble. There are other gay players in baseball, Bean states flatly. Remember Billy Bean? No. It's common sense that they stay in the closet. He says, you can imagine what difficulties there would be if a ball player came out. It would be like the president announcing he's gay. Glenn Burke, who played in the outfield in the late 1970s for the Dodgers in Oakland Athletics, acknowledged his homosexuality in 1994. A year later, he died of AIDS. And shockwaves ripped through the big leagues last year. And you know something? This part here of this story, I'd forgotten all about. Yeah, what? It says, shockwaves ripped through the big leagues last year when the editor of the nation's largest circulation gay magazine, The Advocate, remember I read that on the air? Right. Disclosed that he was sleeping with one of the boys of summer. I'd forgotten all about that because, needless to say, there was no response. For the past year and a half, I've been having an affair with a pro baseball player from a Major League East Coast franchise, admitted Brendan Lemon of Out, oh, Out Magazine, not The Advocate. Not his team's biggest star, but a very recognizable media figure all the same, he said. During this time, none of my friends has been privy to this liaison, a con- concealment that's been awkward at times, but nothing in comparison to the maneuvering my ballplayers had to make. He's had to maneuver it. Lemon refused to name his lover, and it's no wonder. Cromartie believes any player who comes out of the closet would be targeted by some fellow athletes who hate homos. There's a fraction of ballplayers, I'd say about 10% of the league, who consider themselves to be macho guys and would have a problem with it, Cromartie says. Some of these guys might even try to liberally injure a player by throwing a fastball at their head or spiking them. Because of that, we probably won't see an openly gay player anytime soon, says the Crow, superstar of QAM, Greg Reed's uh, close personal buddy. Oh, there's uh, the defense attorney for Michael Skakel. Nice job there, uh, Nikki, uh, Mickey Sherman. Well, just say some, some words about this case. Yeah. Gentlemen. Let's hear it. Thank you. My name is David Skakel. My name is David Skakel. I am Michael's younger brother. Yeah. Needless to say, yes, we're very disappointed. I had written something months ago in preparation for this day with in mind the only verdict I thought possible. And I was wrong. I would say that fortunately we are a family with a bedrock of faith. Our faith has been tested today immeasurably. Drag him off of there, okay? He's boring. Guilty. The verdict is guilty. It's still guilty, okay? Pilot feared shoe bomb suspect had accomplices. The flight crew of American Airlines Flight 63 feared the accused shoe bomber, Richard Reed, was traveling with three accomplices when he allegedly tried to blow up the airplane. Were you aware of that? Had you ever heard this before? No, not. Well, there you go. The crew members also spent the last part of the flight afraid the explosives-packed footwear could destroy the plane before it was able to land. The information comes from three pilots and two flight attendants talking on a training tape distributed by the Allied Pilots Association, the collective bargaining agent for American Airlines pilots. They do not give their names. I heard a scream from the number three flight attendants, said one. Flight 63 was about 30,000 feet over the Atlantic Ocean December 22th en route from Paris to Miami. When witnesses say Reed began acting strangely, 
Reed was assigned an aisle seat near the middle of the aircraft, but he moved to an empty window seat after takeoff. The new seat was closer to the plane's exterior where the bomb could have caused greater damage. He tried to light something on fire. We didn't really know what it was, said one person on the tape. The flight attendant had told him to put it out, and he put it in his mouth, another said. Reed was overpowered by passengers and crew members, but not without a struggle. The number three flight attendant ran by me, saying, He bit me, he bit me, someone on the APA tape said. After Reed was subdued, the flight crew became worried that he wasn't acting alone. The pilot ran a trace on the seat where the crew thought Reed was sitting. The trace indicated he was traveling as part of a family of four. The scenario now is that there are three other people traveling with this man, a crew member recalled, but despite pleas from the uh, flight attendants, the pilots couldn't find a place to land immediately. Unfortunately, we're two hours away from anything close by. Over two hours, said the pilot. American Airlines headquarters later determined that Reed was traveling alone. While Reed was sedated by a doctor on board the plane, the plane was diverted to Boston and escorted by two F-15s, but the crew still feared the explosives inside Reed's shoes. I told him up to the front, and one of the dumbest things I ever did was call a cockpit and say, I'm coming in with something, remembered the pilot. On the way in, I realized that I smelled the cord. I see the burnt end, and I say, oh, my gosh, this is what he was trying to light. This is not a shoe. It's a bomb. The device was then taken to the back of the plane, wrapped in blankets and pillows, to help absorb a potential explosion. We made sure that nobody came near it, said a flight attendant. Of course, every time the airplane made a little jolt, it was a little disturbing to say, at the least. How do you like that, huh? Chilling. Chilling. 11.57 at 5.60 WQAM. If all you're fat, if you're disgusting. Here's the answer for you. Delights of West Boca, the oldest and largest low-carb superstore in town, and the official Atkins Diet Center. Dieting's a lot different now because Splenda's come out, and a lot of those diet products have dropped those awful, you know, like Maltitol and the uh, crap at all. Those sweeteners that were bad on your stomach and made you like all day. Delights of West Boca carries thousands of great diet products, supplements, vitamins, diet books, everything you need to lose the pounds you thought were so hard to get rid of. Delights also carries the biggest selection of bakery products like pancake mix, breads, cookies, cheesecakes, brownies, muffins, and eclairs. And Delights also carries low-carbon, sugar-free products like pasta, sauces, ketchup, crackers, candy, champion light chocolate, and their famous Carbolite ice cream, too. So if you want to lose the weight in the delicious way, head to Delights of West Boca and try before you buy it. That's right. You can taste anything in the store for free before you buy it. The knowledgeable staff at Delights will put you on the right path. So call 187... What is it? 187. No, 1877... Low carb, or check out lowcarb.com on the web. That's one eight seven seven low carb. I had the right number. I just wasn't giving the right uh, like uh, delivery. You know what I'm saying? One eight seven seven low carb, or stop it at the store. Better yet, then you won't have to worry about the right number. It's on the northeast corner of Glades and four forty one in Boca. Be sure and tell them that. Connection, simply the fastest turnaround in town. The Neil Rogers Show on five sixty WQAM, Miami, Fort Lauderdale. This is Howard David. When I take my Feldeen, I listen to the Neil Rogers 12 to 1 hour. Not George, because he's stupid. Coming up tonight on Inside the Behind the True Hollywood Celebrity Music Biography Profile Story, we take a good, hard, stiff look into stardom. Their infectious pop stylings infected us with an infection until we took some antibiotics and the thing for went away in a week or so. They were to pow. Always asking us where we got the name T'Pau. <laughs> In this rare interview, T'Pau lead singer Carol Decker makes the rash assumption that we give a flying f about her and her stupid band. Well, 
T'Pol was a character on Star Trek. She was a Vulcan High Priestess. <laughs> Interestingly enough, confessing that she named her band after a Star Trek character branded Carol Decker as such a hopeless geek that it prevented her from getting laid during her entire tenure as a famous person. <laughs> It's ironic, you know, because as you probably know, Vulcans have to mate <laughs> once every seven years or they like explode. <laughs> Why no, Carol? You annoying, strange person. We didn't know that. But let me ask you this: If the band Tapau doesn't have a hit every seven years, do they explode too? <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, like, what are you getting at? I mean, we only had that one hit, and it's been well over seven. Ladies and gentlemen, a little glimpse of what the world would be like if TV show announcers had all the power. It's a big, juicy, sopping wet luggage show business tonight on Inside the Behind. Well, this is some heavy-duty stuff you just faxed me. You know about the Esquire article? Yeah. I'm going to have to go out and buy Esquire now. Oh, and where did this thing come from? From the、uh, Promise Keepers? We <laughs>、uh, we went to their website, compelled by the ad. Yeah. And Miguel found that. Hey, Adam, you're an asshole, baby. <clears throat> Goes to show you that the hidden asshole is the most dangerous one, the one that convinces you, oh, you know, harmless. He's a good guy. He's not like the other guys. He's not spastic like most of our other salespeople. And then he comes up with this piece of crap. <clears throat> Seven promises from the promise keepers. Number one, promise keepers committed to honoring Jesus Christ through worship, prayer, and obedience to God's word in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it goes on. It goes on the line. I don't want to waste my time with that. Oh, speaking of that, Judge Amish sect must use triangles. Evansburg, Pennsylvania. A judge has ruled that an ultra-conservative Amish congregation must use orange and red reflective triangles on their buggies, despite arguments by the group that gaudy decorations violate their beliefs. It's not a decoration, assholes. Good lordy, it's too gaudy. Twenty members of the Schwarzentruber Amish sect, who live about 65 miles from Pittsburgh, were hit yesterday with 27 fines of $95 each for failing to use the slow-moving vehicle symbol on roadways. Donna Doblik, the Pittsburgh attorney representing the Amish for the ACLU, said she'll appeal the ruling to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. The fines were suspended until the appeal is heard. Instead of the triangles, the Schwarzentruber prefer to use a gray reflective tape and a lantern on the rear of their buggies. Gray or white reflective tape is legal in nine states for use on slow-moving vehicles, including Ohio, where the sect lived until two years ago. We're disappointed. It's hard to understand how in nine states they can make the requested accommodation for the Amish, but in Pennsylvania, in the cradle of religious liberty, they can't respect the Amish's beliefs," said Vic Walkaz, Zach, whatever his name is, executive director of the Pittsburgh branch of the ACLU. Cambria County Judge Timothy Craney ruled that Pennsylvania can abridge the Schwarzentruber's religious beliefs because it has a compelling interest, namely keeping the Amish and other vehicles safe on public roads. Craney relied on testimony given last month by state transportation experts who said the triangles are more visible than tape during the day, when statistics show about 61% of all vehicle buggy accidents occur. God, you sure don't want to be in a buggy accident, do you? No, it sounds buggy. Doblik said those statistics don't prove anything, however, because they don't show how the accidents occurred or who was at fault. There's no evidence that any of those crashes could have been prevented by bathing the vehicle in color, she said. Oh, well, that sounds like a fun thing, though. Let's bathe our vehicle in color. What color? Now this thing that you just faxed me, I sure hope this is pretty interesting. This stuff from Esquire magazine. It says in an amazingly candid and startling piece 
In the current Esquire, the Pulitzer Prize-winning writer Ron Suskind has torn away the curtain at the Bush White House and shown just how phony and scary the Bush regime actually is. Washington political observers caught off guard by Suskind's ability to get at the truth are agog at the article, which some have compared to David Stockman's revelations 20 years ago about how Reaganomics was a fraud. The New York Times has even seen fit to print a partial summary of Suskind's article, though with some of the more dis- uh, though without some of the more disturbing details. Suskind's article started out as a profile of Karen Hughes. In the middle of Suskind's reporting of the story, Karen announced her resignation, which might have been a bad setback for Suskind, but the resourceful Suskind went on to report the real reaction in the White House to Karen's departure and in the process pierced the shroud of secrecy that protects the Bush White House from being seen for what it really is, a bitterly driven PR operation propping up a mindless boy king. Remember Sky King? No. Now we got Boy King. A few of the revelations. In the article, Bush Chief of Staff Andy Card tells Esquire that with Karen Hughes' departure, the whole balance of the White House, which he had been desperately maintaining between Carl Rove and Karen, is now upset. Everything that had worked is now gone. With Karen in Texas, Carl and the wingnuts are now virtually in charge of the executive branch. Bush media advisor Mark McKinnon reveals that Karen Hughes actually makes, or until she departed, made one out of every five presidential decisions. Bush Communications Director Dan Bartlett said that Karen Hughes literally manufactures George W. Bush. Don't believe us? Well, then here are some direct quotes. Andrew Card. The key balance around here has been between Karen and Karl Rove. That's what I've been doing from the start of this administration. Standing on the middle of the seesaw with Karen on one side, Karl on the other, trying to keep it in balance. One of them just jumped off. I'll need designees, people trusted by the president that I can ele- elevate for various re- needs to balance against Karl. Card then ticks off a few names like Tucker Eskew, Dan Bartlett, Mary Madeline, Ari Fleischer, speechwriter Michael Gerson. They're going to have to really step it up, but it won't be easy. Carl is a formidable adversary. Mark McKinnon is quoted as saying, President Bush often says the most striking difference between being governor and president is the volume of decision-making. There are a hundred decisions he has to make every day, big decisions with a lot writing on each one, so he'll give 20 of them to Karen to make. He trusts her completely. He trusts her here like he trusts no one. Dan Bartlett. She, Hughes, can literally manufacture him, Bush, the only one who can do it. She knows how he talks, but also knows how he thinks. It's like they're one person. Over time, people have better understood that if you have an idea, a proposal, Karen better like it or not, or he won't have any chance of in any event. And it goes on. So you better buy the new uh, Esquire July issue, Esquire magazine, and read all about it. Remember that little newsboy say, read all about it? You don't remember that, do you? On the underdog cartoon? Just like that little Johnny they used to say, call for Philip Morris, speaking of cigarettes, before your time. Hey, the good news is, for you uh, poor people losing your ass in the market, the good news is, very quietly here, it's making a little bit of a comeback. Isn't that good? I, I'm ecstatic. The Dow that was down well over 100 points is now only down 58, and the NASDAQ that was down like over 50 points is now only down 29. Of course, there's a long way to go. I just mentioned that in passing, try to so you won't commit suicide. Oh, look at that. There's Mark Furman. Bring up the crime. They created virtually all the evidence. What didn't come from Michael's mouth was created by his family, sending him to a lawn, hiring the Sutton Associate. And oh, it was man. a very lame attempt to cover up a murder, which, in fact, what it did is, is gave us the evidence, and it gave us... Oh, that's right. He wrote that book, Murder in Greenwich, about the Escakel case. Did you know that? I didn't. And that inspired me. I think I'm going to go out and buy that today. Mark Furman. Come to find out that Furman's not a bad guy after all. You know what? That was just shtick. No, I mean, just because he said nigger, I mean, you say nigger. Nigger, please. And uh, black people say nigger. Everybody says nigger. 
And the idea that they made to, and of course that comes from this prissy, phony, goody two shoes facade that the American public is uh, this childish aura under which we have to live. Do one thing in private, then uh, pretend in public uh, you're a whole different person. Oh, nobody says that. The N word. Celebrity spills out. China says Joey Buttafuoco is a fat piece of garbage and a chicken too. How do you like that? Oh, I see. I'm, I'm only reading part of it. I knew it didn't make too much sense there, did it? Oh. Celebrity Slugfest spills off uh, out of a TV ring. Well, it, same thing. Former pro wrestling sex pot China. You know China? Yes. Got her butt kicked by infamous teen seducer Joey Buttafuoco in a celebrity boxing match, and now she's beating up on him outside the ring. He's nothing but a fat piece of garbage, China, who now goes by her real name, Joni Lore, b uh, blasted to a friend. If he's man enough to face me in a wrestling ring, I'll drop him so fast his big head won't stop spinning. The China Buttafuoco Slugfest was the featured bout on Fox Network Celebrity Boxing 2 special. China 30 was a late replacement stepping in after Buttafuoco's scheduled opponent, John Wayne Baba, was arrested for allegedly beating his new wife. Well, you know, you'd be in a bad mood all the time, too, if somebody cut off your shalong. The 5'11", yeah. 245-pound Buttafuoco fighting as the gladiator easily handled better conditioned but smaller China. He gained notoriety in 1992 when his jealous 17-year-old lover, Long Island Lolita Amy Fisher, shot his wife, Mary Jo, in the hay. At least he did his own fighting this time, China said, who sported a black eye after the match. But that's the last time I'll let that piece of roadkill push me around. He didn't fight fairly when we boxed, and he wouldn't be able to defend himself at all if we ever had to wrestle. How do you like that? Good stuff, baby. Excellent stuff. Can't wait for that rematch. In fact, we got George is going to be wrestling somebody on Celebrity Wrestling. I can't mention the name. <laughs> I think that would get a 90 share in South Florida anyway. Probably get a 99 share. 379 votes on our survey, and I'll say it again. R.J. Reynolds Tobacco Company is being fined by the government. $25 million because they're, uh, they're, they're still marketing to teenagers. Marketing faggots, cigarettes. So we asked today, what do you smoke? I don't smoke anything. 130, 34% of this audience, they are pristine, man. Their lungs are as clear. <laughs> Hear that? Better than mine. Pot. What do you smoke? 60, 64 people in this audience smoking pot, and about half of them buying it from George. Cigarettes and pot, 42. I used to smoke cigarettes, but quit, 37. Cigars, 36. Five, whatever it says there, 35. Cigars and pot, 24. I used to smoke pot, but, ah, now see, look at that uh, typo on it. I used to smoke pot, but quick. But quit, <laughs> quit. Eric, yeah, he smokes it quick just in case there's a knock on the door. Not but quick, but quit, you idiot. 22. Cigarettes, I like 20. And I used way. to smoke cigars, but quit five. But then, Eric, what a what a clown, huh? Light that he joint, used... but quick. Yeah, light it, but quick. 1213 already at 560 WQM. we got the Mad Dog coming up from Hooters today at 1 o'clock. And we got Eddie K for Hank this afternoon. Summertime's here, man. You can walk outside. In fact, just open up the window, crack it a little bit, and, man, you'll close it real fast because it is smoldering out there. You could fry eggs on your wrist if you walk outside. But Oleomed is a product that will help you feel your best and keep you in good health in spite of South Florida's oppressive heat and humidity. Oleomed is a soft gel capsule that contains the best olive oil that money can buy, along with vitamins and minerals and herbals, too, while promoting health for all different aspects of your body. There's a product for your prostate. There's one for your heart, for your blood pressure and cholesterol. Oleomed's also got supplements to promote health in your circulatory system, your digestive and endocrine system, your skin and bones, and even your nimble mind, all using the benefits of pharmaceutical-grade olive oil. And Oleomed's got products for men and ladies, too. Oleomed's available at more and more stores all the time because more and more people keep asking for it. You'll find it at Walgreens, Whole Food Markets, Navarro Pharmacy, and Sedano's as well. It's a stupendous, exciting new product that's good for you. 
If you'd like to find out more about what it does, just call them toll-free and ask away. Call 1-866-OLEOMED. That's 1-866-O-L-E-O-M-E-D. Order their products right on their website at Football live and local. Take your football down here real serious, don't Sports Radio 560, QAM. Misha Horney. That's an old story. What, it was about 90 years ago that happened, something like that? Well, it's that. about freaking time. Yeah. Better late than never, that's what we say. Let's hear it. Oh! This is a great thing that you just faxed me from CNN. It is great. ABC says it edited the word Jesus out of a recent broadcast, so viewers wouldn't be offended. For many, it had the opposite effect. Jesus Christ. The bleep Jesus on The View has drawn the ire of the Reverend Jerry Falwell, some conservative media watchdogs, and even the women whose on-air conversation was altered. It's a political correctness run amok, said Elizabeth Swayze, spokeswoman for the Media Research Center. On the May 23rd edition of The View, which is a horrible show, by the way, Meredith Vieira noticed that the daily weigh-ins of her dieting co-host, Joy Bihar, had ended. Yes, and thank you, thank you, Jesus, is all I have to say, Bihar replied. Now, the, now the fact that uh, it, it just makes you want to lay down on the floor and give up, you know what? The fact <laughs> yeah. that there's even such a thing. She said, yes, and thank you, thank you, Jesus, is all I have to say, be her reply. Like, that's a big deal. Her words were aired live in much of the country, but when ABC broadcast the tape version of the show on the West Coast, the word Jesus was edited out. Jesus Christ. ABC spokeswoman Julie Hoover said, she, ABC huh? spokeswoman Julie Hoover said she, the use ran afoul of a pretty clear standard. The network has no problem with Jesus' name if it's used in a prayerful and respectful manner, she said. ABC's Peter Jennings anchored a highly rated news special, a ridiculous piece of fiction called The Search for Jesus in July of 2000. But ABC does not allow Jesus' name to be used in an exclamation like, Jesus Christ, like that. 
Under the circumstances, we were concerned it would be offensive to our audience, Hoover said. The incident comes at a time broadcasters in general are pushing the boundaries of language and content. Content. Expletives rarely allowed on the networks were used this year, for instance, on, in, uh, on a May ER episode on NBC and on CBS March special using video from inside the World Trade Center. ABC's broadcast of a racy Victoria's Secret fashion special in November prompted complaints of the FCC, which ruled that it did not violate indecency regulations. So they have no problem with showing, like, almost teats and ass. That's okay. But Jesus, they got a problem with. Ugh. I think everybody ought to call up ABC and say, you got a problem with Jesus? Five days after the Bihar incident, host of The View noted they'd received about 100 letters of complaint. It was stupid to beep that. Stupid. Co-host Star Jones said, they let us say all kinds of things on TV, but they beep out Jesus. That makes no sense to me at all. Jesus Christ. Falwell in the newspaper column said he believed ABC's action was wrong. What makes it worse, he said, is that many cable TV networks are habitually blasphemous. God damn it. Conservative Catholics and evangelical Christians are expected to accept this double standard and keep our mouth shut, he said. He, you know, he ought to keep his damn mouth shut. Maybe he might lose an ounce or two. Piece of crap. Piece of walking turd. All you sports fans out there and other lifeless holes, and people just want to take a, a peek at Doreen and see if she's really as ridiculous and useless as we say, and she is and does. Anybody know what she does at this place? No. Nothing. Besides chase Miguel around up and down the hallway and then uh, run him around. Yeah, that, see, that's the deal. If, if you'd like uh, finally put out for her, she'd stop chasing you all, over, all around town, putting you sending out on errands. Hey, sports fans, join uh, Jim Maddog Managed Live Broadcast at Hooters today in Pembroke Pines. That's not the one she's going to be at. Is it the one? No. Yes. Yes? Yes. Well, that's right, because that's the one Miguel is not going to be at. And See, now we know why he's not going there, because Doreen's going to be there. Pines and University, 1 to 3, that's where the Mad Dog's doing the show. QM Prize Patrol will be there, along with Doreen. All kinds of crappy giveaway stuff that we couldn't give away. To any, even the homeless people wouldn't take it. And you can register to win dinner for two with the Florida Marlins after you look Kevin Millar. And then, then the piece on the uh, resistance. Look for the QM van from 5 to 7 at the Davy Ale House on the southeast corner of 595 and University Drive. Stop by for prizes and specials on Mike's Hard Lemonade. It is really hard. That's 5 to 7 with Miguel at the Davy Ale House this afternoon. And trust me, Doreen will not be there. And if she is going to be there, Miguel will leave. Can we count on that? Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. you got to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it would be really stupid if he said anything about that. That would just not be a good move. Anyway, can I get back to my show now? I feel like I've been diverted from my appointed rounds. But that was a pretty interesting thing there about Jesus. Yeah. What a pile of crap. That was from Backstreet. Miguel. Thank you. Thank you very much. Backstreet Boy testifies on Capitol Hill. Did you see about this? Nope. And this asshole man, the one that uh, Senator George Voinovich, Republican of Ohio, boycotted. He's sick and tired of all these celebrities coming forward and testifying. Kevin Richardson of the Backstreet Boys shared his concerns about a coal mining practice with a Senate panel yesterday, and one lawmaker said she would accept the singer's offer of an aerial tour to see the environmental effect. When I moved back home to Kentucky to raise a family on my farm, I want my kids to be able to fish and swim in the same place I grew up, said Richardson, who has an environmental group called Just Within Reach. Oh, did you mention about Nick Carter's going out on his own, by the way, and got an album coming out? I didn't mention it. Well, he is, and he will. That don't mean he's leaving the group, but he's also doing his own stuff. Is that okay? With me, yeah. He testified. This is not, uh, Nick did not testify. Somehow I can't envision that. Kevin Richardson testified about mountaintop mining, a practice in which the top of a bridge or mountain is sheared off to expose a coal seam. 
Dirt and rock waste is then pushed into nearby valleys and waterways. Critics say the Bush administration is undercutting environmental laws with a uh, rule encouraging such mining. I'm not a scientist, but I know what I've seen in flights over coal fields, Richardson told a Senate Environment and Public Works subcommittee. He invited members to join him on a flight to see the areas themselves. And Senator Hillary Clinton, Democrat of New York, said she'd accept his offer. I guarantee you she's got his hand on, her, on, her, on his list. George Voinovich, who's a real asshole, Republican of Ohio, boycotted the hearing to protest the recent parade of celebrities to Capitol Hill, which has included Julia Roberts and Christy Brinkley. It's unfortunate that he's not here. I could have taught him something, Richardson said of Voinovich. The senator, of course, did not immediately, immediately return any messages. And you want to know why he didn't return any messages and he didn't why? want to respond? He's an asshole. That's why. He's a schmuck. Senator George Voinovich. 26 past noon at 5. So log on and start playing. A service of Sports Radio 560. QAM. WQM New Orleans brothel under FBI probe. This is the story I was talking about before from Newsday. Okay. At a time when we got all these scandals going on, the FBI didn't know this and didn't connect the dots, and the CIA didn't tell them this and the INS and all this other crap. This is just, uh, again, nauseating. The bordello was in a white Victorian house on a shady boulevard near a Presbyterian church and miles from Bourbon Street strip clubs. The man ran an green, dark green alert. Call Tom Ridge. We got a green one. 
The madam ran it with help from her mother. The madam's daughter worked as a prostitute, prosecutors say. New Orleans blue blood bankers, white shoe lawyers, businessmen, and a former pro football player were said to be among those who paid hundreds of dollars for hour-long trysts with women who had flown in from New York, Miami, and elsewhere. With its French Quarter cat houses and the legendary celebrated in-song House of the Rising Sun, well, I hate the way they wrote this, celebrated in-song House of the Rising Sun, New Orleans has long had a rich reputation for indulging sins of the flesh. But in this case, what went on behind the curtains of the House of Ill Repute on Canal Street became known through an extraordinary six-month wiretap investigation by the FBI. The case and the Fed's role have raised questions and fueled gossip and debate from here to Capitol Hill. Among the questions, why are the FBI and the U.S. Justice Department investigating the Louisiana skin trade? If the prostitutes face federal charges, why aren't their customers being prosecuted? And will the customers who prosecutors say are among the city's elite ever be identified publicly? This case is a real hot potato. I've been practicing law here for 35 years, and I don't remember anything like it, said Arthur A. Buddy Lemon III, a New Orleans defense lawyer. How's it going, buddy? The FBI began investigating the knock-and-shop brothel after a Louisiana doctor accused, uh, accused of insurance fraud said he spent more than three hundred grand at the bordello from 1994-1998. He must have had one hell of a good time, you know it? Must have. Man. Dr. Howard Lipton pleaded guilty to fraud and agreed to cooperate with the FBI, whose investigation ran from April 2001 through September. Investigators said the house was the center of a nationwide prostitution ring with outposts in nine cities, which meant the operation crossed state lines and thereby constituted a federal case. Now, I'd like to interject this, if I can, when we had a prostitution ring in Dade County, well-documented, run by police where underage girls, at least in this one, there's no minors involved, but the one in Dade County involved only underage girls, minors, were being used as prostitutes, and law enforcement people from all from every agency in Dade County were the customers of this uh, ring. We didn't bring in the FBI. What we did was we swept it under the carpet, and nobody wanted to talk about it except yours truly, and we still never got any information. And they gave a couple of cops a slap on the wrist, and that was the end of that. I just mentioned that in passing. Investigators said the house was the center of a nationwide prostitution ring without posts in nine cities, which meant the operation crossed state lines and thereby constituted a federal case. So don't say don't make a federal case out of it. We're not only talking about high-priced call girls. We're talking about a house of ill repute in each city, acting U.S. Attorney Jim Lutton said. Jeanette Mayer, the 43-year-old madam, was indicted in March along with her mother, daughter, and 12 other people on federal charges, ranging from racketeering to selling marijuana. Oh, God. Mayor and her mother, Tommy Taylor, 62, admitted running the brothel and pleaded guilty to prostitution conspiracy. They had a whole TV show on this. Did you see it? Remember nope. we talked about it? I missed that one, remember? <clears throat> Get with it. Some wondered, though, why the FBI and federal prosecutors were so interested in prostitution, a crime normally left to the local district attorney, especially when you think that they got bigger fish to fry, uh -huh. maybe, with their manpower, with their limited resources. This case is not Ma Barker. This is not major criminal activity, said Harry Rosenberg, a former federal prosecutor. I think the public normally expects the federal government to be interested in bigger things, bigger things. On Tuesday in Washington, Senate Majority Leader Tom Daschle cited the New Orleans investigation, arguing that the FBI ought to cooperate with lawmakers looking into intelligence failures before the 9-11 terrorist attacks. If the FBI can spend resources investigating whether there's prostitution in New Orleans, they ought to be able to find the resources to investigate what happened in this country prior to 9-11, he said. No one, however, has used resources to prosecute the brothel's clients, even though the madam offered to identify them. Letting the city can't prosecute the men because there's no federal law against paying someone for sex. Did you know that? No, I did not. He offered his evidence to District Attorney Harry Connick, 
whose music we can't stand, by the way, whose office periodically prosecutes hookers. But Connick declined the offer this week, insisting it's a federal case started by the FBI and it's up to the feds to finish the job. Letton and Connick's refusal to go after the customer stirred speculation that the men are being protected from embarrassment. These are probably some very prominent men who have been given political contributions, New Orleans lawyer William Rittenberg said. Some of Mayor's customers are still worried, though. Vinny Mosca, Mayor, uh, Mayor's lawyer, said several have asked uh, her to keep their name secret. People have called up to lobby her on the phone, Mosca said, and probably slipping her like uh, brown envelopes and brown paper sacks to keep their name intact. So how do you like that at a time when the American public is becoming increasingly not skeptical but pissed off and fired up? Well, that's the theory of threat. I beg your pardon? Prostitution. Oh, that's right. It's a ser- Plus... Plus, she also had the marriage of weenie. Don't forget that. She had that wicked, wacky weed. Yeah. That's right. I mean, we got to keep our senses about us. we got to be smart, like the president. We got And if that reefer madness sets in, God only knows <laughs> what kind of crap's going to be going on in this country. we got to keep our eyes out because we got, like, the orange alert today, or is it the yellow one? What is it today, Amber? Puce. Puce, uh, puce alert today. Oh, that's for my phlegm, the puce alert. 22 till 1 at 560, your suspicious station, Q. Sports Radio 560. You know what I mean? Yeah. Eh? Yeah. Eh? Yeah. Eh? It's Friday, you bastard. Oh, hello, Neil. It's Greg. Do forgive me for being so forward and allowing myself to call you, but I just had to ask you, can I please fire George? Look, you have no idea that kid put Salt Peter in Moe's wig, and he slashed the tires on my Cadillac. Oh, it's true. It's true. All true. <laughs> Read Inquisition. Good fire, George. I want to pitch him out the door. I want to kick him with my Gucci shoes. Oh, right. We're in position for a cell. So I'm dismissing personnel. But need permission from that fat gay Jew. I confess. I find sex talk boring. Sex is boring. Sports talk. Sports talk. I like bets. Red like sports most bets. Sports jobs. I'm adoring. Adoring. I dream of Ricky Williams in a dress. <laughs> Read Inquisition. Drives on hate. Unless you're sniffing. Sports take the best position when sports folks spread their Exciting as sport hole fangs. Read Inquisition, sport assholes. We're licking kissing, most brown holes. Can't get permission to make George go away. So I step my feet in Gucci shoes and make the facts that they refuse. At least let me suspend him for a day. No. 12.45 at 560 WQAM. This is great stuff, this Josie Lambie thing you just faxed me. <laughs> is that hysterical or what? This is one of the all-time best. Gossip columnist, our good old bald-headed friend Josie Lambie. Remember him from the Sun Sentinel? No. Well, sure we do. do. 
Josie's written plenty about people behaving badly, but the former Sun Sentinel gossip singer told journalists in a speech last weekend in Fort Lauderdale that the bad behavior in the major leagues of Dish has been much uh, more very morally unsettling even to him. The major leagues of Dish. The Belgian-born Lambie left the Sun Sentinel a year ago for a much higher paying job with a first-class expense account at the Star, a supermarket tabloid owned by Boca Raton-based American Media Inc., which we love. We love all the tabloids on this show now. CEO David Pecker hired him, he says, after... That's his name, and of course it's interesting when you find out what this story is about. It all kind of like fits in, so to speak. CEO David Pecker hired him, he says, after he wrote about an incident in which Pecker's black Corvette was keyed in the company parking lot and Pecker suspected employees. The shiny Dome Lambie told his fascinated audience at the National Writers Conference that his first six months at the tabloid were hell because he didn't like the people developing sources in the New York, L.A. or Las Vegas celebrity access was tough, and PR agents cut him off whenever he wrote unfavorably about any of their clients. At first, Lambie was uneasy about paying sources for information, an absolute no-no in regular journalism. He was offering people thousands of dollars to feed him dirt about their friends, associates, siblings, lovers, spouses, and children, and they were taking the money. I hate to use unnamed sources, Lambie said, but readers wouldn't want to know that the sister of their favorite actor was ratting him out for money. He's gotten over his own queasiness about buying information, and now urges mainstream U.S. news organizations to give up their hypocritical scruples. But the columnist saves his harshest contempt for Los Angeles law firms that specialize in trying to scare tabloid reporters out of writing negative pieces about their clients. Recently, Lambie said a lawyer wrote an eight-page letter warning him not to denigrate the size of actor Greg Kinnear's penis. Is that how you pronounce his name? Yeah. Who is he? Don't know. Oh. I've heard Actor Greg Kinnear's penis. Kinnear was set to play a nude orgy scene with actor Willem Dafoe. Oh, and you want to know why his name is Willem? His parents couldn't afford an eye. He's Dutch. Ah. Ah, yeah, that's a very uh, popular Dutch name. Anyway, Kinnear was set to play a nude orgy scene with actor Willem Dafoe and an actress in the new Martin Scorsese film. But according to Lambie sources, Kinnear felt thoroughly outclassed when Dafoe, reputedly the best endowed actor in Hollywood, doffed his shorts and unveiled his equipment. The lawyer's letter defended the comparative size of Kinnear's organ, Lambie said. The star ran the story anyway, but softened it a little, and the story too. <laughs> Eight pages for something as puny as that, Lambie said. How do you like that? They softened it just a little bit. Yeah, see? By about half. Here's a pissed off South Florida driver who faxes this in. He says, I'm buying, I'm buying www.getoutoftheroad.com today. And I'll be putting up pictures, videos, and sounds of my friends and I harassing the homeless voice legally, of course. Keep an eye on it. www.getoutoftheroad.com. Nice going, sir. Says, had to lay on my horn this afternoon to get one of these assholes out of the uh, lane because she was talking to the car next to me and the light was green. I gave her the finger, then she punched my hood. So I took the pepper spray off my wife's keychain, did a U-turn for a drive-by pepper spray, got her square in the puss as she came at the car again. She dented my hood, and I'm going to sue these assholes for all the penny rolls I can get. Thanks. Pissed off South Florida driver. How do you like that, huh? I like it a lot, and I'm saving as this thing. I'm going to go to the, the site. The homeless voice continued terrorizing the public all over South Florida, and the uh, law enforcement authorities won't do a goddamn thing about it. And, by the way, the Brown County, uh, County Chamber of Commerce is a bogus organization. It's it's totally a fraud. I mean, it's legally registered and all of that, but it's got nothing to do with really being a Chamber of Commerce. It's that religious wacko. It's What's that guy's name company. again? Lawrence Zolnowski. Yeah, it's a It's a company. It's not a real chamber of commerce. It's a freaking company. Anyway, www.getoutoftheroad.com today. Mother scratchers. God, when is it? Is it ever going to end? No. Assholes in orange suits. It's not bad enough. You got the worst driving in the history of mankind all over the place. You got people like we never got an update on that story about the 89-year-old guy. 
No. That killed a four-year-old kid and hit the accelerator of his juke canoe instead of the brake and ran into a whole bunch of people. And this is his fifth incident, like in the last few years. 89. AM 790. And 55 at 560 WQM. Our poll today, what do you smoke? What are you smoking, huh? Must be smoking something because I took calls Monday through Wednesday down there, and believe me, most of those people were smoking. Uh -huh. Smoking uh, ragweed. Anyway, I don't smoke anything. 143. 33. Uh, One-third of this audience, totally one-third, don't smoke anything. And good for them. Let's hear it. Let's give them a little round, okay? Keep those lungs healthy. Keep everything in good shape. I mean, just, you know, just common sense. You don't put something in your mouth and then, like, set it on fire. Only idiots like me that smokes a stogie now and then. I mean, you got to be a moron to be like, and all that stuff is going up into your, uh, oh. 74 smoke pot, 17.1%. Cigarettes and pot, another 48, 11.1%. Cigars, are nothing like a good stogie, though, you know. I don't care what I just said. Cigars, 42. I used to smoke cigarettes but quit 40. Cigars and pot, 27, just like Al Goldstein. Maybe someday you'll grow up to be like Al Goldstein if you keep smoking cigars and pot. <laughs> and huh? eat a lot. Yeah, and eat a lot and wind up in jail. Do we ever get any more updates on No. Uh, I used to smoke pot but quit 26. Cigarettes, 26. And I used to smoke cigars but quit 6. See? See what I mean about that? And I bet you one of those was Pat Quinn. Wait till you hear this. You know The Rock? I know The Rock. Even you know The Rock, even though you're not a sports person or a WWF. The Rock's Donut Diet. And, you know, I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking to myself, maybe this makes sense. <laughs> he downs 18 of them at a time. But don't now don't overreact to that. Scorpion King star, The Rock, loves Dunkin' Donuts so much, he sucks down 18 of them in a single sitting. Oh, he does have bad taste. I can understand 18 uh, Krispy Kremes, but 18 Easy. Dunkin' Donuts? The WWF wrestling superstar, whose real name is Dwayne Johnson, is six foot five and weighs 280 pounds, but he keeps fit as a fiddle by eating healthy food six days a week and going nuts on the seventh day. I was thinking of my own like variation on that, you know, like maybe eating crap six days a week and going and doing good one day a week. <laughs> anyway, on the seventh day is when he lets his sweet tooth run wild. After he fills up on a dozen and a half donuts, he goes straight to other sugary goodies. It says. I can switch to chocolate cake, then the blueberry cake, says the 30-year-old actor. My rule for the seventh day is treat yourself, don't cheat yourself. What do you think about that, huh? I don't know if it works for him, although I'm sure he works out constantly. 
Maybe he's just got good genes. Florida, and you know something, the sad part of it is, I'm pretty proud of myself because not wasting time with any stupid phone calls. We had only one phone call today. It was a great one because it was from Dave Johnson, and I picked War Emblem, and he picked what? What did he pick? He picked uh, Sunday Break with Gary Stevens. And you picked what? The uh, the one that he had picked previously. Proud I Citizen. Proud Citizen, right. Okay. I'm picking War Emblem and a, a, a Belmont tomorrow because I want to see a Triple Crown winner because we, we need a champion, especially.